Welcome to the TTPOA podcast, a podcast for SWAT officers, military, and all first responders. We'll be talking training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts around. Here are your hosts, Derek and Brandon. Well, hey guys, uh, welcome back to uh, episode 16 of our podcast with uh, my sexy friend over here, Derek. How you doing, man? Good. How about you, bud? Not bad, man. It's been a long day working at the range, but it was good. It's always a good day at the range. Yeah, you need to go to the range more. I've seen you shoot. I do, man. Yesterday, uh, I went out on my own, and uh, afterwards, I texted some some buddies of mine, and I'm like, hey, I was like a fucktard eating a soup sandwich today. I need to go back to a shotgun. That's how bad it was yesterday. But today was good, man. Just yesterday? Just yesterday. Not every other day? Not every day. Just okay. yesterday, man. Uh but today was good. So, well, speaking yeah. of Sue Sandwich, I want to see you introduce our next guest and not <laughs> and not screw up their last name. Well, uh, okay. So today we have probably uh, the smartest person we ever had on our uh, guest. It's a doctor. We've never had. No, don't even, don't even look at you like you're the smartest one. Okay, I'm cool with that. Don't even. I'll take that. Don't even. So we have a lot of educated people here today, unlike us. Uh, so we have the co-founder of Sports Academy over here. Um, crap, what was your name? <laughs> Nate Barunda. Nate. There we go, Nate. Happy to be here. There Nate, we go, Nate. I am so sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I usually, wrote it down. I mean, I thought we were on the same page. Usually for well, these podcasts. He didn't give it to me. He put yeah. it over there, man. Usually Dick. for the podcast, we give him some crayons. Yeah. We let him, we, we let Brandon yeah. eat in kind of color. Yeah. And then we do the podcast as adults. So right. okay. today, all right, no that's strike no one. That's yeah. strike one. So now we have husband and wife over here. Okay. Uh, first, Dr. T okay. and Mr. T over here. What does Dr. T, <laughs> what does the T stand for in Dr. T? Twid. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'd forget it. I want to hear you say it. What, how did you? How did y'all pronounce it? Okay, Twiddell. Yeah, there it was. Twiddell. He's over here laughing because that motherfucker doesn't even know himself. Twiddell. Because you just heard it. No, no, I'm good, bro. I'm good. I just want to watch you do that. So we have Doctor T and then Mister T over here. That's awesome. A little different haircut than Mister T. So y'all have first, and then y'all had a. A baby, so intercourse happened not with you, but with like the whole organization. The the- well, that and yeah. then we, over so we here, too. We yes, too. yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a weird deal. And then y'all had a baby, and it's now first and sports academy kind of combined. Yes, uh, I'll let y'all go into that because I wasn't there that night. All that happened. <laughs> um, so y'all have the dirty details. I don't. Uh, so, but we wanted to have you on just because it's a different aspect uh, than what we've normally done. Uh, we've hit a lot of us as far as just the. Um, the mental wellness side and the, and the uh, physical side of stuff by just having guests on and, and their stories and just kind of things that they've overcome and, and stuff that has happened to them. And just naturally progressed into that. Uh, but now we're actually kind of focusing this podcast on it. And what's good is that prior to this uh, podcast, uh, we had uh, SWAT wives on it. So there were some things that came up that, and, and that y'all deal with as far as couples counseling and, and, and things like that. So uh, hopefully this will just segue in to uh, the last episode that we had, if anybody listened to that, but hopefully they did. So um, let's get started. We'll go with ladies first. Okay. Uh, so just tell us about yourself and what you're about and your organization and where you're from and all that stuff. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for having us. Um, like you said, 
My name's Heather Tweddell. Go by Dr. T. Mm-hmm. Uh, my doctorate is in forensic psychology, but I specialize in working with first responders and their family members. Um, I'm a first responder family member myself, dad right. and brother. Uh, our police officers are also SWAT officers. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see, I, I just moved to Texas probably two and a half years ago. Um, yes, I'm from California. But you did came. California or Texas, though. That, didn't that's that. right. I came for all the right reasons, I yeah. promise. Um, but yeah, yeah, originally from Southern California. When I lived in California, I was a law enforcement psychologist for the uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Okay. Um, so really day one of the academy, um, not there to scare them, but to let them know that trauma exposure and the things that you're going to be exposed to in this type of career does change the way that your brain functions, the way that the lens <laughs> of how you see the world, how you see other people and also how you see yourself. Man, too. I would have never known that. Like just, right. I, I, think, I think I found out the hard way it did. It did. So Almost do because it's not always talked about and we, they don't get the training. I can't tell you how many, you know, chiefs I see and they're like, this would have been helpful 20 years ago. Yeah, no, for right? sure. For sure. So I don't want to interrupt your introduction, but how often, yeah, I know. How often did you guys do that in the academy? Was it like the first day of the academy? Yeah, we would go into anytime there was academy classes, we'd go in and we would do like a family night, which was really cool. They'd bring in pizza. And and again, it's not to scare the family members, but you know, you have to inform people Mm -hmm. of a first, a a really good first responder is one who you've given them all the skills so that when shit does hit the fan, they're prepared to endure that. And for so long, they've left off the piece of how does this psychologically impact someone? How's it, how does it change a lot of things? And then right. how does that show up in their relationships? So you want the couple, you want the family members working together when trauma exposure starts to show up in their home so that they feel you know informed and ready to handle it rather than what the hell's happening. Because yeah. um, all we usually hear from first responder family members are, I don't know, he's just different yeah. or jobs just changed her. Um, and it, we, we shouldn't just be crossing our fingers and hoping family members do okay. We, we need to make sure they're informed no, and educated sure. about it. Um, and so not only in the academy, but obviously a lot of critical incident debriefs, trainings, um, helping with their peer support team, did some re- research for them as well. And then obviously individual, lots of couples therapy and family therapy as well. Okay. Um, so having a brother and father, cause LA sheriffs, you know, at the time I was there, it was like 8,000 sworn. So they could afford to have 12 yeah. law enforcement psychologists. We, wow. were, we were just employees, sheriff employees. Um, having a brother and father from a smaller agency, 300 to 400, which is more typical. Yeah. They don't always have the budget to have right. a psychologist on staff just for, for, the, for the sworn, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean they shouldn't have access to those types of resources. So when I moved to Texas, I really wanted to just create this menu of services for local fire and PD mm-hmm. of everything that I was doing to make sure. And kind of when I got here, I did this little like North Texas tour of meeting with chiefs and command staff of, Hey, what do you currently have in place when it comes to wellness? Yeah. Um, Cause I always want everyone to every first responder, every first responder, family member, every chief to think of this career in three columns. You've got your pre-escalation then you've got your escalation and then you've got your de-escalation. And what I've noticed moving to Texas, departments got have gotten better at the de-escalation where maybe they have EAP in place or they throw someone like myself at them or there's like a debrief, um, which is good. However, anxiety, depression, suicide rates, they're devastating for our first responders. So that tells me we're not doing enough on the pre-escalation side right, of things. Right. So yes, first does do the trauma processing and the therapy, but I really pride first in doing more of the, that pre-escalation column Okay. training, making sure individuals are informed couples, workshops, being in the Academy. Um, and then, you know, providing that information so that they can be ready for that middle column, 
when it does hit the fan and things do get bad, um, now you have a more tactful approach to that because you have to be strategic with recovery or else um, it'll come back and and bite you in the ass. It doesn't feel good to have adrenaline being released in your system when there's actually not a threat around. That feels very uncomfortable for a first responder. And if they don't understand what's happening, Mm -hmm. that can get displaced onto their family members. Um, It can look quite quite confusing (laughs) to their family members. Um, And it can feel quite confusing for them because nobody told them. So so that's where first really just started to grow. I started it in August of 2020. um, And it's done remarkably well as far as on the therapy side. I think around 25 to 3,000 therapy sessions up to this point. And again, individual couples, family. Um, And then I've just built a a lot of relationships with North Texas departments just to make sure they have that in place. Well, that's kind of how we met. Just, you know, you came to our department and that's right. A lunch um, and learn and yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And and I think I actually reached out to you on uh, Instagram and and stuff and said, we had some mutual friends and then you came to our department and stuff. Um, When you came to Texas, Mm -hmm. sorry, not get, not introduce y'all first, but my mind can only go one way sometimes. Um, So California had more of the preventative side of it, like you were talking about. Was that pretty common out there? or You know, I can't speak to the other departments. Um, I know it wasn't fantastic for where my brother my brother and father were from the same department. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that for L.A. sheriffs, they did having a, a bureau that was just dedicated to that wellness piece and then yeah. obviously the, the, the therapy piece as well. Um, I thought that they did do a fantastic yeah. job of making sure that it was just a part of the culture. It wasn't something that we were like waiting until someone was barely hanging on. It was more of like, this is just, they're, they're also employees. We, do, we were out doing ride-alongs, going on SWAT call-outs. Like, oh, wow. We were just there, informal, conversational. So then it could kind of be like, you know, hey, You're it's, part it's of the not team, part right. of the family, it's not the this unknown family. of like, what shrink am I going to end up in, and what office, and what's this going to be like? You take some of the unknowns out, and that's where I have found when I do trainings. That's one of my biggest ways of how I end up having clients call afterwards mm-hmm. is because you take the unknown out, and then they're like, oh, yeah. talking to a shrink isn't maybe all that bad because right. it's more skills training, like. Call it skills training. You don't have to yeah. call it therapy. It's yeah. just more training. We just might focus on more what happens after the call where you yeah. guys tend to get a lot of training on what happens yeah. during the call or in preparation for it. Um, so it's been really nice to build those relationships. When I learned about sports Academy uh, at the star uh-huh. and walked into that facility, I'm, I mean, I was just blown away by the state of the art facility and everything that they do and cover as far as this comprehensive approach to human performance. Um, and yes, they work with a lot of elite athletes, but also the day to day human beings as well. Yeah. I basically looked around and I was like, this is what first responders deserve. Um, and I always joke, I'm like, until I can figure out how to get first responders paid like elite athletes, um, <laughs> I will just do my best to make sure they have access to the same type of resources that includes the preparation and the conditioning, but also the recovery. Again, right. we, we have to be tactful with recovery. Yeah. So well, if you do get us paid like way, I hope I don't retire by then. So you do it before I retire. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Chase, so what do you do in all this? Yes, sir. Sorry, we got to share microphones. Oh, right. We got too many guests and not enough mics. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Um, I am the Mr. T. Oh, I yeah. Like my hair cuts cooler. Yeah. A yeah, beautiful. Uh, I, wish I, I wish I had that hair. I'm going to do it while I still have it. Yeah, man. Um, Rock it. My name is Chase Tuttle. I am Heather's husband. Um, I got involved in this. Actually, my background's in physical therapy. So I do have a doctorate in physical therapy, and I'm board certified in orthopedic management. Okay. Um, so I've been dealing with orthopedic Another and sports doctor. injuries for the past 10 years. Um 
in and out of different locations. And then obviously with Heather and our move here to Texas over the last almost three years now, um, ranging from professional athletes as clients all the way down to general population, pediatric cases. Um, and what really got me interested in transitioning to this phase is recognizing the brain body connection. I mean, clearly what Dr. T does is so vital in terms of the the brain aspect, (laughs) but then how do you incorporate the body component? How do they interconnect how do mental components impact the physical performance and vice versa? And so we've done so much research in terms of diving deep into that topic and recognizing yeah. that there's a lot of factors that we can almost implement and educate on to kind of help the first responder instead of turning to medication, instead of turning to the bottle. Let's use our bodies. And a lot mm-hmm. of them, they, they want something different than just that quick fix. Yeah. And so, again, the educational piece of how to move your body, why you would, why you would move your body, mm-hmm. and how to dose it properly and how to mitigate injury. And that's, of course, my background is trying to educate them on terms of what's predisposed for injury, how do you prevent that um, in the first place, and how do you not let that go forward? Yeah, especially for the older SWAT dudes. I mean, we're getting getting hurt left and right. Not looking over you. And I'm there. I'm I'm getting hurt. So, uh, Nate. um, Present. Dude, you're a big dude. How tall are you? Uh, 6'5". No, you're not. not. You're like six, seven, dude. You're huge. Um, you're like you're scary. Maybe it's my heels. Only when he's wearing heels. I wore my heels. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. He he's kind of scaring me. Ah, he's not really I mean, he's, me. he's sitting kind of close. He can just reach out and just, just <laughs> pound me. Yeah. All right, Nate. So how uh, how are you involved in in all this? Yeah. So again, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. Met Heather recently uh, after our move to Texas. Uh, you know, Sports Academy's background from a business perspective. We also come from Southern California. We're a Southern California company. Um, we started back in 2015, um, had some ups and downs and kind of the ideation and creation around what sports Academy was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the awesome opportunity to partner with a gentleman that everyone might know, Kobe Bryant, oh. and we became Mamba sports Academy. So we formed a formal joint venture with Kobe. Uh, we were real business partners. It wasn't a marketing deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the Academy all the time and we, did that chapter for about, you know, a year or so until his untimely passing. Mm-hmm. And then we rebanded back to sports Academy and had the awesome opportunity to come out to Texas and basically create a second location and partner inside of, um, the star campus specifically, yeah. you know, located directly across from Dallas Cowboys and kind of in that environment. And why that was so meaningful was we at the time were in a lot of different, um, pilots for our cognitive technology platform that we'll speak about a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. primarily working with all different types of athletes from not only first responders, but e-sport athletes, NBA, NFL, I mean, you name it all the way down to youth athletes, but really focusing in on the key performance indicators that make, you know, decision-making mental acuity response time, reaction time, um, type of type of environments and training things like that so my background is exercise science so my undergrad um and so i'm not a doctor so uh, well sorry plot we're not either Um, plot twist uh i I have i've been focused primarily in the human performance space for almost about 10 years now and really been my passion so working in conjunction and kind of an interdisciplinary model with professionals such as you see sitting before you here today so obviously you know what we feel like and you know dr t really spearheading all of this is what is it's an underserved market not just because there isn't the resources there Mm -hmm. but they're not packaged and delivered correctly or efficiently so that someone can consume the information in a digestible format and then they can go execute on it yeah so there's a lot of people that'll tell you a lot of good things but how do you really go do it no that's a good point so first is a one-stop shop mind body and you guys are primarily first is focused on 
first responders. Yes. And then you guys are doing pretty much with a body, anybody that shows up at the sports Academy and is it, is it working out? Is it? Yeah. So it's, um, as far as what we do on the Academy side, we do everything underneath the sun when it comes to athlete development and then general population, we work with general population across the, across the board, but inside of this paradigm, which is the first SA partnership, we're, highly focused in the, in the space of the tactical athlete, as you'll hear us kind of refer to. So everything from police, fire, SWAT, things like that, (laughs) but taking it down to, and, and Chase will speak to this a little bit, but taking it down to the actual structural biomechanical level of movement and then understanding from a analysis standpoint, how the first responder moves in a given day, what department are they associated with? How many, how much, how many hours do they sit? Are they standing all the time? Is it different? There's these different paradigms and then subsections of people. So suddenly you become, once you dive into that and kind of formulate uh, what we, you know, are trying to do with these different paradigms, you actually discover key performance indicators in each population where you almost identify what Chase alluded to earlier, which was lead indicators that can prevent injury. And then obviously those lead into performance optimization indicators as well. So no, it's because, you know, you talk about, SWAT and getting hurt and setting down and stuff like that. Like you get geared up, you go to a brief, you're setting down. Okay. we All right. Brief is over. You gear up, get in the Bearcat, get whatever vehicle you're going to ride in. You're sitting down. Sometimes you sit for a little bit longer. You wait and then you get out, you get high speed and it's just go, you know, and that's, that's something that's, it's hard on your body. uh, Especially when you, setting for a little while and then, okay, Hey, he's here now. Let's go execute this deal. Or you're on a SWAT call out and you've been out for four or five hours on a perimeter and it's hot or it's cold. And now, okay, now we're going to decide to make entry. Now we're going to do this. Or now something happened. He kicks something off where we have to go uh, act upon what this person is doing. So there's a lot of like, stop, go, stop, go. And that does, that is hard on the body. Um, well, that's it's just, tough. that's just regular police yeah, work in yeah, general. Yeah. I mean, you know, patrol guys are just riding around for 12 hour shifts, yeah. not doing much. And then boom, something kicks off and their adrenaline's up and they're physical. And then they're sitting back down again, they're at report and it's just this up and down cycle. So I see the face you're making, it's, <laughs> you know, or, speak to it? well, yeah, Chase, I think you should speak to that piece as well. But the part where then I come in is know, sometimes you guys don't realize, yeah, that it's such a physical demand, mm-hmm. but what your brain is doing, even, even just in anticipation of, of what the next move is, mm-hmm. um, in order to protect you, you've got these like built in safety mechanisms and your brain is releasing these different chemicals to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're going into that fight or flight. People often hear about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. cortisol being released, um, adrenaline being released. You guys don't often hear about something called tachykinin that also gets released. It's like a protein that binds to your neurons. What was that called again? Tachykinin. I knew all about that. I knew all about it. It attaches to. It's almost as hard to say as Twiddell, but I feel like we we could do it. Got him. um, I like her. I like her. But how it presents is. She's going to make fun of your fatness too in a little bit. So so when all that's dumped, um, it doesn't just like magically go somewhere. Right. And so an acute stress response really is anything from those minutes following that dump up to three days. And so if you're not informed of what that feels like to have all of that in your system, yeah. Primary ways those things show up, um, especially like tachykinin and, and cortisol is anxiety and irritability, mm-hmm. right? But you've, you've gone from this high. I want you guys to always think of your nervous system like the seesaw, like you're in that fight or flight mm-hmm. and what goes up must come down. It doesn't come down to this nice, like, oh, happy regulated space. It like, it drops a little bit 
low, for right? That. And yeah. as it's recovering, it can look like you're depressed. It can look like you don't really care. You don't want to really do a whole lot. You don't want to talk. You love your family, but then you get home and you don't really want to be around your family. And then we're socially isolating, mm-hmm. um, maybe hitting the bottle. We're adding all those things. In the meantime, your nervous system is trying to, trying to get regulated and, and the individual is making it way harder for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but how it shows up is it can be major mood changes um, yeah. and it can be very quick. And the nervous system, your limbic system, how those things, those structures that respond, it, it's a very quick response and it's about 500 milliseconds. Mm. So if the brain gets it wrong off duty, we're going to see the quick snap. Wow. And the quick snap, what that looks like to family members is like, what the hell was that response? Right. Right. Really that for this situation. Yeah. And then now we don't, it doesn't make sense. Big question mark around your guys' behaviors. And then what do we do with question marks? We fill them with assumptions. And then the assumptions is, oh, he's just an asshole or he just, you know, he's unhappy or he just doesn't care anymore. or He's just miserable. Yeah. It's not the answer. It's a huge physiological component. Um, but I, I just want to make sure that part's highlighted because um, if you don't understand, those three days can feel quite miserable and they can be quite miserable for the people for around you. Yeah. And that's why you have to be very strategic with how you help it. But if you're doing recover. this every day, your three days is stacked, 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 stacked. Right. So here's the thing. If you think of an acute stress response taking about potentially up to three days, so you're going from being on duty in that high and then you, your seesaw drops and now you're in this low, where are most of you up to three days later, you're going back up to this high. Mm-hmm. Your nervous system, your body wants to be right there in that like window of tolerance that mm-hmm. we talk about. But you guys end up going from these highs to lows. So basically you're functioning from either being like high, alert, ready, excited, mm-hmm. or that could also look like anxiety, panicky, kind of ready, mm-hmm. but then pff, kind of depressed and, and withdrawn and, and irritable. And so <laughs> there's really no baseline. It's just For like that. these you know, dysregulations of these highs and lows. And again, that's quite uncomfortable. There's things you can do to get you into mm-hmm. the window of tolerance. And then there's things you can do that keep you high, keep you low. And we'll, we can talk about those things too. Um, but yeah, I think you. I think it would be good for you to talk about the when you're going from just sitting to then going quickly. Yeah. Um, again, all those chemicals get released, psychological side of it, but then there's a physical consequence to that yeah. as well. Love the window of tolerance. Yeah. The window of tolerance. <laughs> it sounds like a level that needs to right? be conquered. Like Lord of the Rings movie or something. <laughs> I think I'm. Uh, yeah. Um, no, but I think you hit it right on the head in terms of the sustained activity mm-hmm. and having to go full bore. I would say, you know, the research is pretty clear, but clinically we see this pretty significantly is the number one precursor for injury amongst all populations really is sustained activity. Mm-hmm. And that goes from sustained sitting, sustained standing to if you just did a bicep curl for three hours, yeah, the tissue will break down eventually. For that. And again, that's, I think a lot of individuals think by just sitting, it's not really stressful, but it's actually quite demanding, especially in the lower back region. And I think when you talked about, you know, you're in a squad car for 12 hours, 10 hours, eight hours, just driving around, you've got utility belts, you've got gear on, it's not comfortable. No. Uh, and you add that other variable in. Uh, one of the research studies shows that anything over four hours of driving in a car, specifically in first responders, there's a 200% increase in low back prevalence. Oh, wow. Um, those, I mean, clearly not small numbers, but I think, again, you're just sitting, right? And so just the act of sitting, and then you add in the demand of having to go yeah. immediate into high bore action activity, which is pretty unpredictable. You don't know right. what's going to really be happening. And the added weight of your gear is just crazy. Yeah. And there, yeah. In terms of studies also that show uh, every pound that you add to your system is six pounds of force to the hip joints and four pounds of stress to the knee joints. 
Damn. So on top of what you're already carrying. How many right? fucking so, pounds do you yeah, have, dude? So, you know, bro. So natural weight, of course, right? You already weigh 300 pounds. <laughs> so, you know, whatever, it's solid. <laughs> so, I mean, you think about those that aren't conditioned to carry that. Yeah. I mean, obviously those that kind of take it on themselves to condition themselves to really take care of their bodies. I mean, to be quite honest, most of us don't. And we don't really think about those kind of things until it's yeah. a little bit too late. And so those are the kind of factors we're looking at to stay ahead of, to say, look, you have to prepare your body for these type of demands because just sitting, it is something stressful, especially when you're doing it continuously day in, day out. Yeah. So before you take it back, is there anything, sorry, don't, don't give me that look. Yeah. yeah. Is there see. anything that the normal patrol guy that's sitting in that car for eight, 10, 12 hour shifts. You stole my question. Sorry. Is there anything that they can do to prepare themselves, you know, like get out and stretch or, I mean, is there something that they can do to kind of propel them, pre- prepare them? So if it does happen, they're more physically ready for that and not, not working out, but something during that shift. It's a great question. I think that's, that's the one factor we're still trying to work in because some of it's built into your demand. We can't ask you to get out every 15 minutes and, you know, do a, yeah. a quick stretch routine. That's just not viable. But, and, and again, I should also put the caveat on it. Just because you're sitting for a long period of time does not guarantee you're going to run into issues. Right. Just that percentage is likely. Yeah. So, you know, we're not guaranteeing that there's going to be problems, but to be preventative, of course, it's important. So we're looking at integrating programs in terms of pre-shift, mid-shift, post-shift of giving a quick three to four different movements. And it doesn't have to be anything excessive. Not to me, uh, you know, a, a time breaker where you're like, man, I've got to do my stretch just for 30 minutes. No, yeah. just something quick, easy. You get in, you get out. You go and f- grab a bite to eat. Do a quick, before you get back into the car. You guys are sitting around. If there's a small break, you know, hey, I'm low activity, kind of quiet. Let me just do a lap around my car. The number one thing we see in the rehab setting in terms of prevention and improvement for these type of issues mm-hmm. is changing what you're doing. So if you're noticing that I'm just sitting for a long period of time, just a quick get up and move and just a subtle change of position is actually quite enough. If you're sitting for a long period of time, unfortunately, if you can't see me, um, but if you're sitting for a long period of time, the first thing you do is what well, you're doing. Yeah. 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 You just a quick weight shift and all of a sudden whatever you were feeling uh, kind of goes away. Yeah. And all you did was just change where the pressure in your lower back is now centered. And mm-hmm. it's enough to cause a little pressure valve release. Just oh, shit. No. Yeah. Right. No, as you're talking, I'm like, damn, but I'm getting stiff. <laughs> just a slight change in terms of where the pressure is and going to your lower back and yeah. into the hips is enough to buy you a little bit more time. You know, a lot of times we hear guys put, you know, I put lumbar, lumbar support in my lower back and my car and the car, my personal car or my squad car. Yeah. It's actually one of the worst things you can do professionally because what that does is it puts you in an extended position for a sustained amount of time. Uh, what you really want to be doing is fluctuating between those two positions of being hmm. in a more of an extended position, but also having the ability to kind of roll back and flatten your back into what's behind you, whether it be okay. your body armor or your chair, but being able to produce that maneuver is really going to be the number one thing that just in your car driving, if you're in traffic or you're on the job, that's a quick, subtle way to make sure you just do that little bit of pressure valve release for the device more time. And then you can really hit the hammer home when you get off or in the middle, if you take about 15 minutes, if you know you're dealing with something or you think you might be dealing with something that we can put something together for that. I'm telling you right now, every patrol officer has 15 minutes in their shift yeah. to where they could do exactly what you're talking about. So for the guys that are saying, I don't have time, that's bullshit. I've been there. I know you have time to do 15 minutes of stretching or walking around your car or do whatever it is that you guys are going to talk about. All right, take it. Let's go. 
She's antsy. She's, she's got, antsy. She's got some. She's ready to go. To I have things to say. Yeah, she does. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> poor, Nate. Poor, poor Nate has See things to say too. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm just reeling from the from the name loss at the beginning. That's what I'm still recovering from. No, we'll work on that together afterwards. Okay. This, Nate. I'll give you my card. Okay. Do you want to speak to like the performance side of how that plays into even the preventative, like strengthen strengthening conditioning, and even what Chase just said? Because one thing yep. is mindfulness. Before you say it, is mindfulness. Um, just be more aware, mm-hmm. right? I, I call it the bulldozing effect. Whereas first responders, you're going from one thing to the next, to the next, yeah. to the next. So you're teaching your system to always kind of be ready and to crave that. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're bulldozing. We, we, you have to slow down and even just being mindful. So people who are listening, who just heard Chase talk about like subtle movements, if now your brain just heard that, mm-hmm. there's more of a chance that the next time you're sitting for a long period of time, you might think like, oh yeah, I need to shift. I need to... Just mindfulness. Just be aware of yourself. Yeah. So many first responders, they they are constantly bulldozing. They lose this connection to their body, and your body is your tool, mm-hmm. right? And if your and if your body is acting up on you, like having panic attacks, or you're feeling anxious, or you're like you're feeling sluggish when you're at home, you, first responders can start to lose faith in their body, yeah. and then it's just like they're just bulldozing to now distract from it. Um, so that mindfulness piece is, yeah, I want to talk about the injury piece, but I want to shoot it over to my buddy Nate and um, talk about like the conditioning piece when it comes to the injury mitigation portion. Before she takes all y'all's well, thunder after that, yeah. takes the whole yep. show over. I have yep. one question. Yes, sir. Do you know the percentages or, do you, or can you even guess of how many first responders, let's talk police side. I don't care about fire. Fire side probably works out. Yeah. It's like a workout question. How many first responders? Police guys, do you know that actually work out on a regular basis, follow a routine? Because like I'm seeing like it's like some of the older guys don't because it wasn't part of their culture growing up. Mm-hmm. Some of the younger guys do, right? But the longer they stay into law enforcement, they kind of let it go. Yep. They don't follow the same way they did when they were in the academy or they were in college or yep. or whatever. Yeah, again, exact percentage. Don't don't have it in front of me right now, but I, I think to your point, it's not so much the activity level that we're concerned about here. It's it's more about what they're not doing and what range of motion they're not exploring, mm-hmm. as well as what different planes of motion that they're not exploring. Mm-hmm. And Chase just made a phenomenal statement about, you know, if you're sitting in the situation, if you get up and introduce a new movement pattern, you get your heart rate up, you do there's just different things that you can approach. When people think about working out, yeah. um, a lot goes into what that is. If you really want to unpack it, you know, mm-hmm. is it a CrossFit workout for some, is it jogging? Is it doing crunches, pushups, sit-ups, pull-ups, you know, yeah. weight with a weight vest. Okay, great. All those things benefit you to a certain extent, but you're leaving a lot on the table when you don't understand that the human body is an, is an athlete We're we're athletes mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And yeah. when you think about all the different ranges of motion that you leave out, the different planes of motion that your body moves in. And again, maybe relating this back to the, to the car, um, example, but maybe even heading home and squatting up a step and then reaching behind you. So now you have a frontal plane range of motion mixed in with a rotational movement to a deep hip flexion movement where you're driving low and then you have to produce force out of that to pick up some, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. those loads or new ranges of motion, if not experienced before, mm-hmm. lend themselves over time to overuse injuries or 
what I like to call, which I did this morning because I'm an idiot, was be aggressive and grab something and where I didn't feel like I was a fully warmed up because yeah. you know we're coaching a bunch of guys, you know, yeah. preparing for the NFL draft right now. So I got to be limber. I got to be mo- mobile. But if but you know I walk into the weight room cold and I go over to demonstrate something, all of a sudden just you know you get that little response. Yeah, it's not that I haven't done the right things to train for that. But if you don't continually expose your body to those type of different stimuluses, yeah. that that's where you really kind of lose out on. So. Yeah. And I think too, like going back to what you said, working out, you know, there's, especially like Derek and I were around the same age, you know, it was like bench press. Let's do how much can you bench and, and all that. That's right. great, but that doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me as a, as a, as a SWAT guy, as far as the everyday function of what I do, or even as a cop. Um, and I think there's a lot of times we just got, let's just lift weights, lift weights, lift weights, uh, which are good. But I think it's, it's kind of like you said of, of understanding, Hey, I wish I would have known a lot of the stuff that's coming out now, as far as agility and mobility and flexibility, all that kind of stuff. Cause man, my hips are so stiff and stuff. And, yeah. you know, I always tell people on SWAT, it's like dog years. It ages you seven years, every year on SWAT, it's like seven years added to your body. Um, mm. just to the, the, of the crap that people do and all the weight that you add to yourself. Um, and we do stupid shit to ourselves because it's the cool thing to do, you know? <laughs> so add yeah. that on top of it. When it comes to the physical part of being a, like being a police officer, you two, what is it in your eyes that's the most important? Cause I think I have my opinion on it and talking to some SOCOM doctors that did the exact same thing that you guys are doing with the special forces guys. Um, Agility is always yep. what those guys are saying. That's the number one thing that these guys need to have to be a good operator doing what they're doing. Do you, are you guys seeing the same thing for first responders when it comes to police and fire? You want to take this one, Chase? I'll, yeah, I'll jump one. on it. Yeah, I got that one. I like the ear. I like the headset. I have my headset. <laughs> I feel pretty good. Um, <laughs> I feel left out. I know. Kind of a little bit. <laughs> um, I think physical fitness and training and the performance world goes in trends like everything, you know, it goes from powerlifting to free weights, to machine weights, to different focuses and emphasis. Um, I think it's coming back around to mobility is king. Um, power is important, but mm-hmm. if you can't move through mm-hmm. your power, then what's the point of it? Mm-hmm. And I think you leave a lot unaddressed if you can't move through what your joints are really capable of doing. Like Nate was mentioning, when you don't explore what your body is really capable of, you're limiting everything that you've trained yourself really for in yeah. terms of force production. Um, so we're talking mobility. Are we talking like Olympic style lifting or explosive, like weightlifting? Like where are we? We're like, like what would you yeah, want to get into? Uh, yeah, I guess. How, how we look at it is the evaluation is key. So when we talk about what you recognize inside of a first responder, specifically if we're talking police or special forces, each person goes through their own rendition of whatever movement. Like you might climb a, uh, a wall differently than he might cl- climb a wall, but it's because he can't climb a wall. Look at him. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but honestly, if you think, if you go break down at the very root level, there's anthropometric differences between both of your guys' bodies. There's yeah. different lever links. You guys, again, he may produce force at a different rate than you do. So he may need more ballistic work. You may need more absolute strength work. Mm-hmm. So you're creating categories of your own unique genetic potential as well yeah. as your athletic ability. And then that's what ultimately should drive your training. Okay. So that's what we're trying to preach is that there's a scientific way to prescribe training Mm -hmm. and there's a things that you should do and don't. 
But if you don't have a plan and we should just go into do five by five at 275, I mean, that should be great. Right. I might wake up feeling great. You may be sore for 13 days afterwards, yeah. which is no good. Right. right. So understanding, and that goes back to Dr. T's stuff about managing stress and in, in the performance world, kind of where our background and where my background specifically is, is how do I mitigate and manage stress and load on an athlete and volume so that they're able to perform at the right time and not be at risk of injury. Mm. Right. So <clears throat> performing at that time, if I'm a football player, I play Saturday or Sundays. Yep. Right. So <clears throat> you know how to schedule that workout for first responders, police and fire. You don't know how to schedule that. So what's the difference between scheduling like a program for a college football player versus a police or fire guy? I would say in this and chase and Heather jump in here too. The one thing that we find is consistency. Consistency is key in doing it the right way. So when you look at all the different breaks that you might have in your schedules or shifts or whatnot, identifying the time that you would use to perform physical activity, whether that be circuit training, weight training, whatever you have access to, it's understanding the key variables that support your body as far as it performs when it comes to kinematics and kinetics. So how do you move and then how do you produce force? Mm -hmm. If we understand that about you as an individual, prescription becomes easy and then the implementation is implementation but we preach just consistency over time for them you might monday wednesday friday at 6 p.m is not always going to work we know that life happens but the consistent improvement towards a strategic outcome with your objective data set just for you Mm -hmm. because you got guys that are listening to this that work out at 3 a.m yeah that's just that's when they work out uh, because of working night shift or whatever time they get off and things like that so yep that, that is hard to schedule. I want to circle back if I could to, to yeah. your original question where you were mentioning, you know, what is the kind of the percentage of first responders that really kind of quote unquote work out or really mm-hmm. put an emphasis into it. And it is difficult to put a true percentage to it, but I would say one of the biggest roadblocks to developing maybe a higher percentage that actually do is time. Mm-hmm. Time is precious and you guys have very little of it, especially with how much you're dedicating to something like this, this program, yeah. as well as your full-time job, potentially a lot of overtime. We hear a lot. Oh, yeah. I would say in the rehab setting, when I used to deal with a lot of first responders, you'd ask them, you know, what kind of thing are you doing? What kind of gets you back to doing besides the work related things? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them go, well, I just can you know, do you know, a couple things here and there, go for a jog. You know, they do, they fit what they can. But the problem with that approach, and it kind of leads back into a lot of what we see in the sports world with injuries, is a lot of athletes, whether they're weekend warriors or even a first responder, we're considering in that athletic group, they use their activity to train themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you're a runner, you go out and run and you use running to get yourself in shape. Very rarely do you think about getting in shape to run. And a lot of running injuries uh-huh. are predicated on having the strength and the mobility and the proper mechanics to actually do that on a consistent yeah, basis. Great point. So I think what we're looking at as a first responder is you really need to almost emphasize training for your job and not letting your job, unfortunately, train you and deplete you because there's nothing left. Yeah. So it, it's a Good difficult point. thing to manage, most no doubt, because time is precious and it's hard to find. But I think if we get the idea of you have to really make sure your body is in tune and ready to rock before you head out on your shift mm-hmm. or that overtime and get adequate rest and all the recovery components that you know yeah. Nate's kind of mentioning as well, that's kind of the hard, that's the buffer right now. And so I think we're still trying to kind of problem solve that. But again, the awareness piece that Dr. T was mentioning of just, Letting these guys know this is something you really have to prep for. It's not just something you just yeah. do. Yeah. I think it's because you got a guy who has a construction company or owns a business or whatever he, he does. He's kind of training for him. Like 
hey, I look good. I want to not, you know, look like a fat boy at the beach and that kind of stuff. Or females are training because, hey, they want to look good in a dress or whatever. But yeah, we do that too. But there's also the other side of you're training for your fucking life. Like you, you know, there's a saying you can't train harder than, you know, something that's going to, uh, your job that's going to kill you basically. So there's so many aspects of that. Cause we get guys on here that are, Hey, shoot dry fire and all this kind of stuff. And then there's the working out part. There's the mind part of it. And there, there's a lot of things because everything goes back to, can we die from this job? And it always says, yes, you can die from this job. And, and I think that's where the, that's where it's so hard to fit all this stuff in sometimes. And I think services that y'all are providing are good because guys just don't know what they don't know. So to be able to, to come to y'all and go, Hey, I don't know anything. Teach me. I think that's a huge thing that y'all are able to do. So I think the biggest thing that you said or that I took from that was consistency, staying consistent with just a program or doing something. Is that something that you guys do? Do you guys write programs that, you know, you can give me or whatever it is and I can go to my gym or my station or wherever it is and kind of do this. And then we check back in like a month later and we do numbers and see where I'm at. I mean, is that something that, that, that you guys offer? Yes. I think to, to all of that, I think how it becomes real for you is unique to your situation. Right. So we talked about, you know, maybe it's a night shift person, maybe it's Mm -hmm. a person, whatever that looks like, we need to start with some form of baseline. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's where we get really excited about, you know, what, what first is able to do now with our, with our partnership is because we actually have a place that we, you know, we like to call the lighthouse. Now we're, we're going to be able to roll out services and have as effective as starting today with a couple of first responders, uh, in the building, um, doing a full analysis. I mean, from everything head to toe, understanding who they are as an individual from Dr. T's expertise, mm-hmm. going into the sports medicine side and understanding kind of what chase looks at and and analyzes and then going in deeper on the performance side and understanding any indicators that that might, once that has happened, we synthesize the data, we create a report for you. Then yes, a hundred percent. We would love to have a tether probably going to be digital, but we'd love for it to be encouraged so that it is, you know, it's a monthly check-in. It's a, it's a quarterly check-in, whatever it looks like, but so that you're again, shooting for something that's objective. Not just like, you know, biceps, triceps. Individually based. Correct. Yeah. Individually based. Correct. So if him and, don't call me sir. Do you want to talk about some of the ways that we gather data and how, like the diagnostics piece? Yeah. So so I I have one more question. So could him, could, could Brandon and I, could we work out together? 100% work out together at the same time with two uniquely different programs. Cause I can already tell both of you guys are two uniquely different athletes. Yeah. I'm awesome. And he's, I'm more (laughs) (laughs) The beauty about, um, I think, what the first and SA joint venture brings is the best expertise from all different paradigms inside of health, wellness, human performance, psychology, so that you just have to show up and be ready to go mm-hmm. and, and let us take care of the rest. And so, yes, we want to we want to provide those type of actionable results, you know, on campus live now. I mean, this yeah. could be after this we're, we're going right, but yeah. you're not doing what he's doing mm-hmm. because you have unique things. You could have had a, a shoulder right. surgery on your right. He could have had a, a labral repair on his left hip. And then once chase analyzes that and understands what that is, and then we actually put objective data behind it. Well, he might need to spend 30% more effort on single leg days, really focusing on that left leg mm-hmm. to bring it back to neutral where you're, you have zero asymmetries, 
but your biggest thing is you're just, you can't produce force quickly Mm -hmm. and that's leading to X, Y, Z. So we're going to work on this. So it becomes hyper focused and hyper individualized. That is not, that's interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions here. I'm sure there's, so if someone wanted to do that, how's that, how how do they do that? Like who do they go to, where they go, what does it cost? All that kind of stuff. We call first, right? Call first. Go. Okay. Telephone. Step one. Step one. Oh, shit. I'm supposed to know the phone no, number. No. Okay. Phone number. We got right phone here. numbers. Right here. Oh, my Lord. You can call me. <laughs> I am waiting for your phone call. It's not on this. It's not on this thing. Well, shit. I didn't well, make shit. that one up. Okay. Well, first of all, um, our website, <laughs> our website is currently under We'll put it, uh, we'll put it attached. Uh, we'll, we'll attach y'all's website to this. But if this, you go um, to www.first, and that's spelled F, the number one, R-S-T, dash tx.org you can find a whole lot of phone numbers <laughs> on that website um my cell phone is dead this is so embarrassing i wouldn't give I'm your like, cell phone out i was I, gonna say i'm like right. almost about to give myself no 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 don't do but, that don't do that um, no but yeah that. you call you call first and the other piece of it is we're we're, we're very much about building relationships with departments mm-hmm. and so us going to the departments is also a big key mm-hmm. for the, the individuals within that department to understand what's accessible to them yeah. Um, one of the cool things that we have put together because we're still kind of perfecting our menu of services. Um, one of the things that we're doing is our mobile wellness training, which Mm. we've already done for Garland fire and Garland PD. Mm. And that's basically where we take the expertise and the technology and the, some of the equipment from the facility, we pick it up and we take it to the department because like we were just talking about, you guys don't have a ton of time. This has to be about what's convenient. So we come to you with a mobile wellness training, um, and there's different, you know, programs within that. But ideally, let's say you pick 50 people and maybe you pick them from different units. You know, someone who's maybe two years on, someone who's like 24 years on. Yeah. You give us your 50 and then you let us gather data from those 50 individuals. Mm-hmm. So not only is the mobile wellness training giving them experience, they will have an experience with the training, giving them education, some of the pieces that I do. But then we actually put them through this circuit where they're doing the cognition lab, which Nate can speak to. Um, They're doing range of motion with the manual therapy side of it, like with Chase. Um, We're gathering all that information so then we can come back with trends. And um, also including non-invasive biomarkers with that too. So then from those 50, we don't like, you know, release names or anything, Mm -hmm. but we can come back to the chief and say, okay, you know, 60% of your people in our cognition lab hit the red button when they're not supposed to hit the red button. Mm, wow. Right. Yeah. And so then that helps us understand like they're doing great over here with, you know, working memory, but their processing speed is in the tanks. Like let's now focus on what is happening oh, within wow. your department. Let us come up with solutions. Mm. Same thing with range of motion. If, if, if you've got 80% of your people with some bad shoulders, you know, I'd hate to describe first responders this way, but from a chief's view, those are walking liabilities and yeah. everything comes down to oh, yeah. workers comp, losing people. Yeah. Um, so if we can, so the cool thing is not only personalizing it, like if you were to come into the facility, making sure we tailor it to what you need, mm-hmm. Brandon, but going to department and saying, what does this department need? Department. How can we help you okay. with that? Um, so I think that's a really cool component of the, so of the services. How would that relate to, you said, I hit the red button when I shouldn't hit the red button. How would that translate into processing um, shoot, no shoot situations? Uh, being or able to, overreacting. Yeah, overreact, things like that, that, that we see officers that are truly doing on video, and you're like, oh, man, that wasn't yeah. good. Or mm, how does that relate to that? 
So like, what's the, so what's the correlation between not being physically fit and some of the mental struggles or the underperforming or overreacting that we see some officers doing now across the, across the country. If you want to speak to the, do those two go together? Yeah. 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 I feel like there's two questions in there. You want to take one of them? I think you're good with the mental. I can talk to the the physical side of what I heard, or at least Mm -hmm. what I thought I heard. Mm -hmm. Um, How does deconditioning and fatigue overall affect essentially outcomes? Mm -hmm. And there's two lenses that we look at and one's through what you would call kind of like your ventilation threshold. So more cardiopulmonary focus and then your lactate threshold. So mm-hmm. what kind of controls muscle action? Mm-hmm. So the buildup of hydrogen ions in the, in the bloodstream, again, over time, you essentially feel hey, we're on the leg example, sitting on a leg extension machine, doing mm-hmm. 20 of those bad boys mm-hmm. by reps, 15 through 20, this thing is going to be firing, burning, mm-hmm. maybe not be able to finish at the end of the day. That, that type of fatigue mm-hmm. under duress is what leads to decreases in performance. So from a physical side, it's very connected because mm-hmm. if you're not ready to go, poor decision-making from lack of actual production from a physical quality will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how that correlates. And then for that, you can talk about the other stuff. Well, and, and part of the cognition lab, it's focusing on your executive functioning, right? And, and a lot of that is kind of like the CEO of the brain, the thinking part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And in your prefrontal, what we know is when your threat reflex is activated. So when you're, you're excited and your, your body's basically calling you to action, mm-hmm. right? That those structures in your brain that have identified the threat, 500 milliseconds. And now we're there. Those two don't always work together. In fact, they don't. What, what we see is when that part of the brain is activated, calling you to action, the prefrontal is actually going offline, right? Cause if a bear were to come running in this room right now, all of us would be called to action. No yeah. one's sitting here being like, is, Hey Brandon, is that a brown bear or a black bear? <laughs> right. And so you're not thinking your way through threat. You're just, you're, you're Shrek. responding. That's how those are our built in defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So if, if you have someone who is having a hard time because their limbic system, those structures are constantly like in that excitatory state mm-hmm. and they're ready and they're constantly losing the prefrontal, we have to do exercises to keep the executive functioning coming back online, how to stay regulated. Um, if someone's about to go into a situation where you're knocking down a door or whatever it looks like, how they're breathing to help the system get a little bit more regulated, it's not going to interfere with officer safety. They're still going to call to action. Mm-hmm. But if they are too excited, then we're possibly going to be losing too much of our prefrontal. And now we have some poor decision making. So it's okay. training that part of the brain, right? So the breathing to stay calm or the breathing because I'm exerting energy and I can't, I'm not cardiovascularly able to deal with that. I think it's, it could be any of those things. If they're not physically ready and they haven't been trained in that way, then their system's going to let them know I'm not ready for this or I don't know how to regulate this. If they're not good at knowing how to regulate their nervous system and how you breathe is the quickest way to communicate with your nervous system, right? Because you're supposed to have anxiety in those situations. It helps us perform. Too much anxiety, performance goes down. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have someone who's like jumping the gun and they're just so excited and their prefrontal's going offline, they're more likely to make mistakes. They're more likely to shoot, not shoot. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to end up in those situations. So you have to teach them a few things, how to stay on the conditioned fit side. side. You have to teach them how to regulate their nervous system, how their breathing is the quickest way to do it. And luckily Mm -hmm. it's, it's free without side effects and you can do it whenever you want. (laughs) Right. Um, And then how to do the cognitive training to make sure that's there. Because if you think of how that shows up, then off duty, right? And you're in a heated conversation with a loved one and you're becoming more limbic, right? So your body's going into that fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. You're losing your prefrontal. 
And so a lot of what I also do in in therapy and skills training is teaching individuals how to be more, again, aware of their systems, that if you're getting in that state, we know that we're losing your prefrontal, which means you have a higher likelihood Mm -hmm. of saying something you don't mean or acting in a way you don't, you don't mean to really act, right? Or causing some damage, emotional damage in that relationship. So if that thing's getting elevated off duty, you've got to learn how to regulate it. If you can't do it in the moment, right? That's the ideal is... The, the goal is to never have a first responder get triggered again. You will, mm. you will forever have trigger responses and your guys's will be quicker and stronger and probably more frequent than the average person. Cause that's what you train it to do yeah. all the time. Right. The goal is to, when I get triggered, how quickly can I identify it? How quickly can I then calm the system and use that energy in a different way so that there's minimal damage. Okay. So if you're getting limbic off duty, right. With a loved one in a heated conversation and you don't know how to regulate yet, you need to be removing yourself from that situation with that. communication, right? right? You don't just stomp off. You say, time out. I'm going to need about 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, whatever it is for you. And then when you leave, I want you to actually do something productive with those 15 minutes, right? Not How drink. Are you, right. If you go and you punch a wall and you drink and you tell yourself what, you know, what an a-hole she is and she doesn't respect you, your body's still listening. And it's like, oh, we need more of those chemicals. Yeah. You're more jacked up. Right. You should be walking away from that situation don't underestimate the narrative. How you mm-hmm. talk to yourself impacts the different chemicals that. that get released. How you talk to yourself, how you breathe, movement in the forward direction releases some dopamine, which is another way to help calm the system. And that means walking forward. Your eyes move in a certain way to release the dopamine. That doesn't mean getting in a car and driving. Really. So if you're upset, don't go for an angry drive. So let's talk about That's at work. Good. What are some things that uh, <clears throat> police officers can do to kind of calm down a little bit at work or to prepare themselves or to put themselves in a better mindset if they just came from or are going to something like a high stress call. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with breathing again and mm-hmm. it's your guys' lucky day. Cause I'm going to make you both do it Uh-oh. right now. Okay. Because there, there's a way to do it. And sometimes <laughs> let's all like rub our, you know, rub our earlobes and find your statement. But no, I'm serious. Um, if, okay. So, on duty, right? How you breathe. If someone just says like, you just need to take a few, few deep breaths, it's going to piss most people off, right? Yeah. Most yeah. first responders off. Yeah. If you're not using your diaphragm when you're breathing, you're doing nothing as far as communicating with your nervous system. And, and here's why it's the placement of where your diaphragm is, right? Okay. If I were in front of 500 people and I had them all put their feet on the ground and said, take a nice deep breath for me. And I'll have the two of you do it. Okay. Take a nice deep breath for me. And Nate and Chase, what did you notice in them? With Thought the- I wasn't breathing. Oh, you stopped breathing? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Are you okay? Yep. Okay. Good now. Okay. <laughs> but what, what, what you might notice, and what I slightly noticed with the both of you, is you'll see someone do this. Their shoulders will come up. Their stomach will come in. Their chest will kind of puff out. They'll take a nice deep breath in, and then they'll relax, and then their stomach like comes back out. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite of how we're supposed to be breathing, right? Good job, Derek. Your shoulders really shouldn't move My stomach move just hangs out. Whole lot. <laughs> so what I want you to do instead it, the placement of your diaphragm, this is another tool that okay. you have to be training on a regular basis. Your diaphragm is nestled right in there with your heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm in an excitatory state, mm-hmm. I can't ask my heart rate, please slow down. You're, you're acting up on me and it's uncomfortable, but I can move my diaphragm in a way that impacts my heart that then communicates with the brain to slow the heart rate down or increase the heart rate. Uh-huh. So when you take a nice deep breath in your stomach, your diaphragm should actually come out. Like you're filling a balloon up with air, Right. And that makes more room for the heart, sending signals to the brain to increase your heart rate. This is where the exhale is really, it has to be controlled and it has to be tactful. When you then, when then, when you then inhale, 
and that comes back in. No, sorry. Inhale. When you exhale, that diaphragm comes back in, making less room by the heart, sending signals to the brain to slow your heart rate down. So if you're, if you're on your way to a call and you're sitting there and you're, you're feeling all the things because adrenaline's now getting dumped, heart rate likely is coming up, blood pressure's coming up, right? Yeah. We're, in that, we're in that fight yeah. or flight state. Even taking one, we call it a physiological sigh, right? I strongly recommend you guys follow Andrew Huberman on Instagram. He's, a, I think, a neuroscientist with Stanford. Most recent research they've come out with is the best way to activate your parasympathetic activity, calm the system down, is something called a physiological sigh. Because you will hear people talk about box breathing, putting, you know, breathe in for three, hold for 17, out for 24. Find a number that's good for you. But physiological size isn't something us humans have put numbers to. It's Mm -hmm. something our body already naturally does to activate the parasympathetic system. If you've ever seen somebody crying really hard Mm -hmm. or like a little kid. Or, you know, when you watch him sob, you know, yes. when he's sad. Yes. Crying really Often. hard. And they'll do something like this. It's called a physiological sigh. It's in, two, through the nose, and out through the mouth. And they'll go like this. <sighs> like they're crying. Oh, they're yeah. sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you have a dog who's laying down about to take a nap. Mm-hmm. And they lay down, and you watch their little nose, and they'll go. Mm-hmm. And kind of blow yeah. out through the nose. Yeah. Yeah. In, two, out through the mouth. So you can replicate that at any point. Research shows one of that one physiological sigh will help calm the system. Mm. If you're really jacked up, start implementing a few of those consecutively. Mm. So what it's going to look like, put your hand over your belly button, hand over your chest, because I want to make sure you guys are breathing from your diaphragm. Chest really shouldn't be moving a whole lot. Okay. It's kind of like a wave. But when you take a nice deep breath in, first just feel how the diaphragm comes out. So go ahead and push that diaphragm out with that inhale and hold it. And then exhale and deflate that balloon. Pulling your stomach back in and everything through the nose if you can. This is just to practice the diaphragm. So go ahead and breathe in. Push that diaphragm out and hold it for a second. And go ahead and release, deflating that balloon. And if you do this a few times, you may notice either you start to either feel a little bit lightheaded or you just start to feel this heaviness that takes over. You're activating parasympathetic activity. Your body doesn't always love that nice, slow breathing. It's really good if you're about to fall asleep, mm-hmm. right? If you're having a hard time falling asleep, lie on your back. You'll naturally do diaphragmatic breathing. But if oh, you're really intentional with it, it can help calm the system. If you're on your way to that call, I would be implementing a physiological sigh. Mm-hmm. So your, your diaphragm is still going to come out, but it's going to mm-hmm. look like this. Two in through the nose, one through the mouth. So you take a nice deep one in through the nose, and then you're going to do one more pops all the little sacs open in your lungs and then best way to release all the carbon dioxide. So it's going to look like this. And then you release it all out. So what that looks like is you see, like take that nice deep breath Mm -hmm. in and then your nose does one more pop and you may not be able to grab a ton of oxygen at that top. doesn't matter. It's okay. Go ahead and release through your mouth. Mm. So go ahead and try one physiological sign. Put those nostrils right up to that microphone. Very good. It's not, it's not a line, Brandon. Well, we do have this sweet crystal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you take a nice deep breath in, so it's not like a it's a it's still a so it's filling up as much as you can and then you pop it one more, right? That's the with the crying, and then out nice and controlled through the mouth. Right? And I can do this several times driving through my shift or yep. I mean just going to those calls or Yep. Super simple. Yep, super simple. Easiest way to do it is to breathe. Another great way to help release the body it wants to metabolize everything that gets dumped, hmm. move your body in some Feel way. That. 
right? You mean just move your body? Move your body in any way. So whether it's, you know, when you get back, if it's walking in the forward direction is what I really mean with that. So whether it's like actually walking in the forward direction, walking in the forward direction. That's why people pace when they're, when they're nervous. Body wants to naturally move, especially away from things that is, Uh, it it identifies as a danger. hmm. And first responders, you guys don't walk away from danger. You run into it. So after that, your body kind of wants to naturally move and release. That's how it also metabolized some of the things that just got dumped. So the breathing really helps regulate the nervous system. And then that movement is what the body already naturally wants to do. And that's where we can bring in their expertise of, okay, what type of movement, Mm -hmm. but taking a walk in the forward direction is going to be a major help. That's good. Yeah. So one question, uh, and we've talked about this before uh, at a training seminar. And I ask you like, there's just things like tomorrow we're going to help Derek's team out and do so, do a warrant and stuff. It's cool. It's, it's exciting, but more than likely we're going to do brief it and go and help them out. And I'm not going to get too excited about it as far as me feeling like I'm rising to a level of like anxiousness or anything like that. It's going to be like, okay, Hey, we've done this before. It's fun, but that's kind of it. Um, can you kind of talk about that? What happens in your, when your yeah. brain and all that, all, all that mess? So you're like, so you're asking like getting used to it. Is yeah. there like, can you get used to that? Oh, 100%. Just be like your baseline. You're just like, whatever. You're, you're conditioning your system and your system can be very easily conditioned. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you're doing something over and over again, so when you're basically teaching your system to constantly go into that fight or flight as often as you guys do, mm-hmm. it kind of gets comfortable and that's where it, that's where it thrives. That's where right. it's, what it's used to. Problem with that is anything below that line can start to feel boring. Mm-hmm. So things that you used to enjoy, you just don't really enjoy them anymore. Mm. Certain people you maybe used to find funny, they're just kind of more annoying now. Relationships that were actually quite fulfilling just don't really feel as exciting anymore. Mm. Life in general can start to feel boring, right? Right. And so not only boring, but the brain also, you've conditioned it to just look for the threats. Mm. And there's been also research that's shown over and over exposure to threat, the brain now has a hard time differentiating what is a threat and what isn't. And now we have the person constantly in that fight or flight, right? So anything below that, what does the first responder tend to do? A whole lot of things, right? Alcohol is something, but funny thing with alcohol, it is a depressant. So when you're coming down and the seesaw is going lower and you're already feeling those things that make you feel depressed, you guys pour some alcohol on that and then you feel even more depressed. Um, Or you'll, you'll throw something in your system with like, the third energy drink or a dip or um, first pot of coffee. And now we're stimulating a system that already goes up. Mm-hmm. Right. So hello feelings of anxiety and panic with the stimulants and then hello feelings of depression with the alcohol. Okay. It doesn't mean you guys can't ever have alcohol or yeah. any of those things again, but I just tell people just be mindful of when you're putting that in your system based mm-hmm. on your seesaw that so has yeah. to come back to it. So if I'm too. within that three day period, probably be keeping i'd probably pulling back from the booze mm-hmm. and and too much meant and like too many energy drinks because your mm-hmm. your nervous system too already, much outside stimulus because right. your mind's already yeah your nervous system or it'll find it'll find the window of tolerance again for that right but if you add those things in it's going to make it harder so let me ask you a question if i have if if i'm in that three-day period right and i'm you know i'm still peaking can i go get like a kick-ass workout and kind of bring that back down a little bit? I mean, is that something that like does working out help my brain and my brain helps me work and you know, like helps my workout become better? I mean, 100%. Um, what I would be, what I would tell individuals, I always call it like your 72 protocol. 
right? Only you can tell me because for some people, they may say this is a critical incident or for the next guy, he's like, that's not a critical incident. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of yourself. And those 72 hours, just be tactful. When it comes to exercise, it's the best way to metabolize a lot of the different chemicals that have gotten released. But too much of a high intensity workout in those three days can actually release more cortisol, more stress. Mm. So it would be more about finding like a 60 to 70% exertion level, not going as hard as you can, but we're wanting the body to help it recover. Right. And so absolutely exercise needs to happen in those first 72 I'm not trying to be funny, but like what, what sex, I mean, what does that do when you, when you had a high stress situation or you, you've had something, you go do a SWAT hit and, Sex is the next thing when you go home. What does that do? Is that good, bad, or, I mean, it's good, but I mean. Sex is good. (laughs) All right. Yeah, there you go. On top of it, though, (laughs) I mean, you have to think of, you have to think of the sensory input, Mm -hmm. right? And when we talk about what activates the limbic system, Mm -hmm. sensory input. And when we talk about certain smells, certain screams, certain tastes, your guys' senses take a beating with this type of job. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of negative associations with that. Mm -hmm. When you talk about sex, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sensory input that's happening, Mm -hmm. but the body hopefully associates those things with something that's positive. And so you want, you want that. It also releases oxytocin, Mm -hmm. which makes you feel connected, secure and safe. So for many first responders who are in situations where they didn't feel those things, Mm -hmm. they didn't feel safe or maybe they felt helpless or they felt disconnected. Um, and all their, all their, or they, they just were at a call where all they saw was devastation and families being ripped apart. They want to come home and now experience those things. Um, cuddling also releases oxytocin. Mm-hmm. So for some of my spouses, they're like, he just comes home and wants to have sex. You know, it's again, find what works best for the two of you. Mm-hmm. It comes down to what might you need. So if the first responder can be aware and say, mm-hmm. I just need to be, I just need to feel connected. Mm-hmm. And if the spouse is like, well, I'm not really in the mood, mm-hmm. then we compromise and we find something different that still promotes that For sense that. of connection. So yeah. is there a difference between the male officer and the female officer as far as kind of what they need and what they're experiencing? Or is it kind of all the same because we're all seeing the same shit? You know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's a, it's the human system uh-huh. being exposed to some pretty horrific shit. Uh-huh. And so that human system is going to need something when it gets home to help it, you know, decompress, to help it feel connected. Um, you know, we're data is key in looking at research and we're, we're trying to look at also like how hormones play a role even around a female's time of the month, like how that plays a role and and how they recover and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. But it's a great question. When we talk about the, the boring and the baseline coming Mm -hmm. back to that too. Um, other things that I just encourage first responders to keep an eye out for is not only the alcohol and and the stimulants, but things like overtime. I have a lot of first responders who don't feel like themselves at home because they've gotten so used to that high. So they'll just pick up more overtime and they justify it with a nice paycheck. But you have to realize you're, you're exposing your body to more and you're taking yourself away from relationships. Relationships will not work if we aren't present for those relationships. We have to engage in those. Um, And we're taking away from your recovery period. I also tell people to watch out for some recklessness um, it doesn't mean that you're some like bungee jumper. If you are, that's great. It could be more subtle though. It could be throwing things on a credit card because that releases some dopamine and that's that immediate gratification that feels good. And then we have first responders ending up in financial mm-hmm. issues, right? Gotcha. Um, or it might be driving a little too fast on the tollway or mm-hmm. going out and getting like the fastest motorcycle um, <laughs> or flirting around with someone you're not supposed to be flirting around with because first responders get a bad rep for you know for being cheaters. 
and it's not my, it's not a free pass right. to go and do those things. But if you as a first responder can sit here right now and say, you know what, if I, if I actually reflected back on the decisions I've been making lately, mm-hmm. the, the situations I've been putting myself in, are they safe? Are they healthy? Right. Um, is that the right thing? If you can sit here and say, if the answer is no, there's a strong physiological component to it. Yep. Right. And so this is where everything ties in to what the body might need versus how you're talking to yourself. Um, Because then you have a first responder making some poor decisions and now they have guilt Mm -hmm. and they may already carry guilt from some of the calls that didn't have the outcome that they hoped for. And guilt is a terrible thing. And so I have a lot of first responders walking around with guilt that now it just, you know, starts to eat away at who they are. And now we have low self-esteem. We have confidence issues. um, We have a really critical mindset and then hello, depression, and then, right. So, so it, it, it all it all cycles together. The last thing I'll say to watch out for, avoidance. Avoidance. When first responders, again, when everything kind of starts to feel like it's a threat, first responders will start avoiding things in their life that make them uncomfortable. So the country concerts that you used to, again, mm-hmm. here's the used to, I used mm-hmm. to enjoy going there. Country concerts are now crowds. Mm-hmm. And crowds are what? People and... Stupid people yeah. and drunks. Well, I don't like and, people. Yeah, yeah, and we don't like people, and right. it's a lot of unknowns and snipers, and it, yeah. it, it's a threat. And so rather than going and ex- still exposing the system, mm-hmm. right, but then modifying the hell out of that thing, mm-hmm. like sit on the aisle, mm-hmm. take your weapon with you if you mm-hmm. need to, right? Yeah. Have a plan with your spouse where I'm going to get up when I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to go stand, mm-hmm. and I'm going to move in that forward direction. I'm going to do a physiological sigh or two, throw yeah. some water on my face, and I'm going to come back down and sit with you. Mm-hmm. And when I sit with you, I don't want you to make a comment like, I knew you wouldn't have fun or I knew you didn't want to be here. Mm. Make the plan before you get there. First responders have to be, you guys are already worst case scenario thinkers. (laughs) So if you're going into a situation and your brain's already playing it out, say it out loud with your loved ones and what you might need. So before we get there, I need us to sit on the side. I need to only, can we be there for two hours instead of three? Mm. You can modify, but you have to work together. Right. And again, it's not always making the first responder comfortable. I actually don't want you guys comfortable because mm-hmm. that's when avoidance happens. Well, that's right. Good. So going back to just kind of, because here, here's my dilemma. And I think that's one of the things where makes a good SWAT guy, a good SWAT guy is that he can be calm under pressure. He, he, he's had enough experience where, okay, Hey, my team just shot this guy. I have to step up and go, Hey, let's, let's do an all stop. Hey, what do you got? Are you okay? You okay? Okay. We got to do this, this, and this, and it just be very regimental. Um, cause I've seen it and I'm like, yeah, we shot that guy. Okay, cool. Now, I mean, not cool in that way, but okay, here's what we got to do. We got to do this, this, and this. And at the end of the day, it was just a job. But so how do you balance that to go, Hey, that guy's really good under pressure. He knows how to do his job. He's experienced. He has a lot of files to go back through, but through experience as opposed to, man, he's so disassociated with what he's actually going on inside. So how do you, how do you balance that? Right. Well, I think what's tough is the things that make you guys really good at your jobs uh-huh. um, can cause the most pain for the people who love you back at home, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there are consequences to being really good at your job. Like mm-hmm. we want you to be, because sometimes our responder family members are like, I want there to be good officer safety. I want yeah. them to be good. But then when they get home, like I don't want them to be in recovery mode. I don't want mm-hmm. them to be kind of vegged out or numbed out. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. The training is going to help prepare you for yeah. that yeah. Um, to perform under pressure. But there's consequences of that, meaning 
when your body protects you in that way, it now has to recover. And if you're not, again, tactful with your recovery, the different chemicals that get released when you're recovering can look like you're disinterested, can look like you're numbed out, can look like you don't care. Mm -hmm. So it has to come back to awareness. Where am I at today? Maybe it's hour 48 after a call. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I just feel blah. Mm -hmm. What might I need? Right. And then if you can go to what might I need, maybe I need to, you know, get off of this couch or maybe I need to not drink today. Or maybe I just need to tell my spouse, Hey, we had a bad call two nights ago. Cause I know a ton of first responders who say nothing to their first response to their first responder family members. Intentions good. Usually doesn't end well. You don't need to go home and tell them all gory details, but you need to give them somewhat of an insight. Like, Hey, I had a bad call so that the question can be, okay, what are you, what are you going to need from me when you get home rather than what the hell's wrong with you when you get home? Because I promise you there's a difference. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of it comes to be great at your job, mm-hmm. but know that there are physiological and mental consequences to being really good. For that. As long as we're tactful with that recovery and we're communicating through it and we're moving our bodies and we're, and we're paying attention to how we actually talk to ourselves. So does reality-based training when we're doing uh, that type of training, how does that play into the mind side of that? Is that... That's that's the only way we can always say give pretest before the actual test day of hey you're involved in a shooting you're involved in this incident that we've been training for so all these pretests how does that play into what you said of almost feeling like it's real so does your mind does it does it can it balance that or not or how, how does that work with 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 your mind and, and the well being of that your body will so. What stress is, is what you perceive to be a threat. Mm-hmm. Your body doesn't respond to reality. It responds to what you perceive to be a threat. Now, okay. remember your, those structures in your brain, that it's the 500 millisecond response. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's something biologically wired within us to mm-hmm. respond. That thing also goes off of prior experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you've been training and your system now takes that, puts it over here, puts a little post-it note on it. The only two post-it notes that the limbic system uses is either danger or safety, mm-hmm. right? So if you've already trained in that that situation and you have the post-it note of danger, right? Your brain will remember that the next time it's there, even one sensory input of that will be like, oh, here we are again, 500 milliseconds later, we're calling to action, yeah, right. right? And so absolutely practicing that stress response will help yep. the actual stress yeah. response. When but, it's doing, but doing the reality-based stuff, <clears throat> practicing that stress is one thing. Then we should do exactly what you're talking about with the breathing afterwards, right? Yes. To kind of teach the guys, hey, I need you to get up here for this, and then I need to kind of come back to reality here. Let's let's do the breathing you talked about. Let's do the size. Yeah, and, let's practice yeah. regulating our nervous system after and, and, and kind of moving so that the more we practice it in these situations, the more likely they are to do that when it actually happens. Right. So I know there's tons of guys listening to this that everything that you're talking about, like, okay, I do that. Yeah, I do that. I do that. But we're stubborn, right? Mm-hmm. We're stubborn. We're embarrassed. We don't want to go talk to anybody. What would you say to those stubborn people that are listening right now that are checking these boxes? Because as you were talking, I'm like, oh, shit, I do that. Okay do that. Right. So like, what do you tell these stubborn guys to, Hey, maybe not, you know, go talk to you. I mean, if I'm in El Paso, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to come up to Frisco and talk to you, but I mean, there's people in El Paso. There's, there's people to talk to all over. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say if you, if you have enough awareness to say, okay, because most people know if you ask them the question right now, if I looked at you and said, 
What's one thing that you're doing wrong in your life right now? I don't love the word wrong, but we'll go with it. What's one thing you're doing wrong or one thing you're doing that's probably not helping or not healthy or not helpful for either yourself or the people that you love. Most people have, they know the answer. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it, Dick. So Tell if us. they can. Hanging out <laughs> with Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> that I would agree with that. <laughs> so if you, if they have enough of that insight and enough of the, um, you know, vulnerability to say like, yeah, this is, this is where I'm not doing a real great job. You gotta be honest with yourself. You gotta be honest with yourself. If they can slow that part down enough and then say, okay, what would I make a change here? Or let's even just say like, once I identify it, what would be the benefits if I actually changed that behavior? What would be the benefits for me? What would be the benefits for my, my family members? And then what's the consequences if I don't? Mm-hmm. A lot of times consequences is what gets people more motivated. When you look yeah. at, if I don't stop this, um, I might end up with some medical issues. Or if I don't stop this, I might end up in a divorce. Or if I don't stop this, I might get fired, right? Or whatever it looks like. Or I might walk away with guilt that I was like a bad dad or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. There's right. major consequences. And so when we slow down enough to just look at those things, that's then where we can put in an action plan. Mm-hmm. And it can be baby steps. Like, okay, sometimes watch your goals that they're not too vague. So if once you can identify it, sometimes I have people come in and they're like, well, I just want to be a better father. I'm like, fantastic. How are we going to know yeah, when we're there? Right. right? Yeah. You have to make them say, Well, you know, tell me the parts about being a father right now that you're not thrilled about. I'm constantly on my phone. Okay, perfect. We can start with that. We can start with, okay, if I were to start today, maybe putting my phone down when I first get home for 30 minutes or putting my phone down and getting on the floor and playing with my kids for 15 minutes, start, start small. And now we can cross that cross that line off and saying like, okay, I did that. And that makes me feel like I'm becoming And then that 15 minutes grows into 20 or 30 or- I'd much rather you be an intentional father than a better yeah. father. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you can identify and say, okay, be intentional with that behavior behaviors, we can change. As soon as someone starts just saying like, I'm a bad dad, that's now a label and that that's going to do some harm. Right. So Chase and Nate, kind of the same question. You guys, is it better to like work out for 20, 30 minutes or is it better to say stretch and try to be more mobile to be, you know, more loose because I'm sitting in that car because not a lot of guys work out. Right. So now I'm going to ask somebody that, that never works out to go do 30 to hour worth of workout, which they're probably going to do for a week and then they're going to get sore and then they're probably going to stop. Or should we just be more mobile and work on our, on our stretching and, and breathing yoga. yoga? Yoga. Yeah, dude, I do. Uh, yeah. Listen, I did hot yeah. yoga for oh, like hurts. four months. That was the hardest thing yeah. I ever did. Yeah. It was embarrassing. I, th- I think you kind of, you kind of, and Chase will probably jump in and totally blow out the, side that I think you guys really want to hear, which is, you know, the injury prevention, the mobility, all that kind of good stuff from my side of the, the coin with the performance. Um, we monitor athletes daily. So we're getting all these objective data points daily. And the reason why we do that is because we want to see fluctuations in performance from day to day. And what we found is over, over the years and years of working with all different populations, not just football, basketball, lacrosse, whatever, anybody's performance on any given day can swing up to from about 30 to 50%, which means if you lifted 175 pounds yesterday, 175 pounds is not 175 pounds today to you. Mm. So given that there should be kind of this check-in and systemized progression of what do you need to do? That's not generally just going to 24 hour fitness and hitting what you did on Tuesday because you felt like that made you feel pumped and it, it might translate, but it might be exposure to cold. 
It might be a exposure to heat. Mm-hmm. It might be doing things that are a little bit more on the recovery side of things. So that's where we get really excited because our facility has all those different modalities. Okay. Now it is a one stop shop. We like to think it is right. We're still growing and learning, but the goal is to bring these things and solutions and, and continual education, you know, to the department. So if there is a need to do an infrared sauna, those things are, you can buy those things and they can fit them in one person, two person, three person, four person. I mean, we, we could have that at the department. They can make a custom two person, wow. right? It gets up to 175 degrees. takes about 30 minutes to get there. You do some, some heat exposure. We have holding hot and cold tub baths. There's mm-hmm. definite great literature behind that and how that helps. So Dr. T prescribes all of these things and all these things are readily available to the first responder at, mm-hmm. at our facility. So it might just be something like that, right? It uh-huh. might not be a workout, but it might be 30 minutes in the sauna and then 15 minutes in the cold bath. Okay. And then so we did home. the, um, so in college, we did the cold baths after yep. two a days. We all had the, they had, you know, 30 something trash cans filled up with ice water and everybody had to do like, I think it was like three minutes, <clears throat> just uh lower extremities just to kind of help our legs recover, yep. uh, after two a days uh, in college. But, uh, injury prevention, man, like, I mean, that's a big thing because like I'm 42, you know, Brandon's 56, um, you know, we're getting up at there in age and, uh, we're still kind of doing the young man's game. Uh, on the SWAT side. Yeah, definitely. What can we do to kind of help us out there? It's a great question. I think there's, gosh, there's so much I want to hit on with that. Um, keep your body guessing. I think, again, the biggest thing that you look at in terms of prevention is don't do the same thing continuously. Tissue breakdown. Don't overload the same area over and over and over. And typically what we find is, you know, a lot of guys will get into, and gals will get into the gym and they'll load the bench. Love yeah. the squat rack. Let me jump on the bike and I'm out. So you're talking about like do the same thing every day, but not doing like a no. scheduled workout, like Monday's chest and back and then Wednesday, you know, whatever. I would not do that. Okay. I would minimize overemphasizing one area continuously. And again, it could be one thing. So again, especially if someone's thing is running, they don't like to go to the gym, but you still have to take that with a grain of salt. You can't just go out and just beat your body up doing that. You still have to go into some form of recovery as well. So keeping your body guessing in terms of cardiovascular demand, different muscle groups that you're targeting, how you're targeting them. Are you going for power? Are you going more ballistic movements? Are you So it's like functional fitness? Is that what we're going here? Well, and I think potentially, and I think the answer is out there and it's individualized to the person. I think that's definitely one thing I wanted to kind of circle back on that you were mentioning in terms of the hot yoga. Everyone kind of jokes about it, but it's like you said, it's, no, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's one tough. of the hardest yeah. things you yeah. did. And yeah. I think that's kind of the take home message. And a lot of times we see this in the rehab world is when someone comes with an injury, we have to scale everything clearly way back because it's just not ready to load up as it was when it was healthy. Mm -hmm. And if you really scale things back and really isolate and target areas that you're really trying to improve upon, it's incredibly difficult when you do it the right way and you do it in a specific way. When you look at something like yoga, movement, controlled movement, extremely difficult Mm -hmm. for someone that doesn't train that way. And that's a lot of times what we see is power movements are important, not to dumb it down, but it's kind of mindless. Push now power movement. You're talking just push pull. So we're talking like exactly. power, like power lifters, like bench press, Correct. squat, deadlift, right? Correct. And the that's nothing to say does. it's bad or to put that component down, but it, it's, it's go. It's not a lot of control necessarily because there's not a lot of planes of movement isolated to it, which is why yoga, you're contorting your body, positioning your body in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's not trained to do, which is why for your physique, built for power, but you ask it to contour and slightly isolate it and control movement is difficult. 
And so you look at when we talked about a little bit earlier, what do you do? Is it more of these, the fads that kind of trend from power to more controlled movements and you're seeing more of the mobility type things becoming more, uh, more of a fad now. Mm-hmm. I think the control component is so important for the first responder population. You're talking like muscle, like muscle or a mind muscle connection yeah, control. Absolutely. Or? So I would almost say thinking about multi-plane type movements, you know, not isolated movements. So get off of a machine, mm-hmm. get off the bench. You can do those things, but you have to explore different planes of movement, rotational movements, bending movements, bending and rotating. As Nate was kind of mentioning, you're going up a step and squatting and reaching. Mm -hmm. Something simple as that, but adding in some multi-plane movement, which is going to force you to focus on the movement. A lot of research has been shown that when individuals are in that hyper state of arousal that Dr. T was kind of mentioning, that frontal plane function, that high-level functioning part of the brain has a difficult time feeling. That's a weird thing to kind of say. Well, it's emotion, sad. No, it's where, where am I? What am I doing? And a lot of researchers show when you ask them, Hey, where is your, where's your foot right now? Like, I I don't know. And they're hyper state of arousal because they're so hyper-focused on one component. And so what they've shown is, is if you focus on movement specifically being in tune with how am I actually really getting a sense of how am I actually performing this movement under a load with a band or with a dumbbell focusing on the movement is actually incredibly powerful in terms of recentering yourself. As you mentioned, how can I help myself post shift in my workout instead of just power grunt push helpful, but that high intensity isn't necessarily such a target post something intense. Give me an example of a multi-plan movement that like if I have a membership to 24 or, you know, big box gym, not a, not a CrossFit gym, right? Mm-hmm. What could I do? Anybody? Well, before we go into the multi-planer, I did want to, so lifting, you hinted, do you, are you a power lifter? What do so, you do? So I've massive. done, so I've done power lifting. I've done strongman. Well, okay. Yep. So in, strongman, let's go brag. Uh, in college, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, we had a, uh, our strength conditioning coach that was from uh, Finland. Yep. So we did some of the Eastern European, nice. some German volume uh, training, maybe do, mixed totally. in there. We Eastern would do European. 25. Well, we do, uh, we start off doing two sets of 25, like we're power cleans yep. in the beginning of, of, of the off season. We would build up to 25 sets of two mm-hmm. at like 90% of our max or something, mm-hmm. you know, something yep. weird. So did that, uh, when I, when I quit playing football in college or graduated, I did uh, strongman, awesome. uh, which was, I was really good at cause I had that explosive power from, yep doing the Olympic lifting in college. Then I did some uh, power lifting uh, as well. And I've done CrossFit and now I'm getting, my body is tearing down and I'm at the big box gym and I'm doing a Monday, Tuesday. I work out six days a week nice. trying to not hurt myself because oh, yeah. I'm not 20 something years old anymore. Well, I, I, and, and, and Chase, obviously from the rehab world and the clinical setting is, you know, prescription wise. And, you know, from that side, he'll, he'll explain that. I, I just want to point out the one thing that I mentioned earlier is it's always important not to totally abandon what you've been doing, but to just, if you have the, the ability to educate yourself on volume manipulation, that, that that's key. And I think the big thing is understanding your body and yep. listening to your body, yep. right? Cause like when I did CrossFit, I could do the prescribed weight, but it was my form there. 
No. And I end up hurting myself more than I think I actually, you know, help myself. Right. Right. Because I'm, I'm trying to do the prescribed weight. I'm trying to do 20 reps of these power clings or hang clings or whatever it is at this stupid amount of weight. And like after like rep 10, your form turns to shit. Next thing you know, you got the tweak or you're like, okay, what did I just do? What was that? Yep. You know, so that, yeah. I, like what's the answer? I mean, like, I, know, I think, I, I think it's all individually what, based, right? Yeah. Like it, it's individually about. based, but it's, it's having someone in your corner that can help guide that process. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're hoping to do, especially mm-hmm. in this community, because again, he does that. Are you on the other end of the spectrum? What, what do you do from a physical standpoint? Uh, to keep I, yourself going. I've, 12 I've, ounce curls. Yeah. There you no. go. Um, I've done CrossFit. I've okay. done just traditional weightlifting. Yeah. Things like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so again, but in, and then I'll, I'll hop off, but it, the, the, the little antidotes that we like to give is you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. just because something is like, wow, we need to do this differently. It's understanding the variables and the sets and reps and kind of what you're doing. And if what you did is something that you feel like you need to replicate, understand the data points behind that 30 to 60% fluctuation in strength mm-hmm. and overall readiness. And again, if your top set was at 215, well, we'll adjust that at 60%, whatever that is, that's your top set today. So you still are accomplishing that. And you're maybe again, you're, you're, you're adjusting the volume and the for frequency that. and intensity of training to accommodate for that stress response and the things that you're dealing with. Gotcha. gotcha. So give me an example of that, of that multi-plane movement. Excellent. Uh, a pal off press. So, you know, ab core work, arm work, work. So something in related to a lateral band. So a band would be perpendicular to mm-hmm. you. You would be holding the center of your chest. You can modify that in so many different ways in terms of just a standard core workout where you'd stand with a squat stance, holding the band, pulling you perpendicular mm-hmm. and just pressing it away from your body. You could go overhead with the press. You can add a press and then actively rotate. Now, can I do that with a dumbbell? You can't do it with the dumbbell to induce the core rotation. That was so I had that, that constant shoulders. tension, that constant you, pull or tension of the band to work the core. Correct. Okay. You, you want to induce a, a counter rotation demand to induce the core work there. You could do it with a dumbbell, but it'd be strictly related to just shoulder demand. Now, what you could do is you could add a band around the dumbbell and you could add multi variations that way. So what about the strong core in correlation to the bad back from sitting in the car for four hours? It's, or- the, it's, it's a great point. It's the direct link to be quite honest. When you, when you really scale it back in terms of adjusting work demands or your own preference in terms of what we talked about, when you, you raise the awareness of someone of what they're actually doing to make adjustments, it's a huge component to help someone get better. But the core so the dude has a bad back. Yes. Just work on your core, meaning mobility core uh, abs, lower back, and then maybe work on the abs and the lower back. It's in a, in the simplest form, a combination of flexibility and conditioning is planks, all, crunches, pl- planks can get tricky to be quite honest, because a lot of times what you see in the rehab sitting and even I'm sure Nate can see it from a, cor- I, I hate the term corrective exercise, but um, a lot of form is really bad. You know, and in, in almost to the point where it can be counterproductive. You're talking about like butt high or yeah, the butt high, or- butt high or the sagging abdomen, and that that's the that's the kicker for a lot of low back issues. Is again, typically the lumbar support that we mm-hmm. reference back to where it kind of props you up here. Mm-hmm. That's one of the number one things that'll get you. It was when you extend your spine, this extended position where you're comp- you're adding more compression to it in, in 
intentionally, but yeah. partially you, you're, oh, I'm erect. Yes, but it's actually adding quite a bit of compressive load to it. So when you're in a plank position, just forearms, full plank, yeah. what will typically happen is if you're a little bit weaker, or you can't really hold the position, butt goes in the air, you lower the man on the app. Would you counter to that is you can actually go the opposite way is you can go a little more sway back. And again, you're extending through the spine unintentionally. You're still holding, yeah. but it's actually quite passive because you're just resting on your lower back into an extended position. So I'd say quite often I'll have a low back patient come in or a low back client who'll be like, Oh, I'll do some planks, but planks kill me. Well, let me see you do it. And you actually yeah. watch them do it. And it's yeah. not necessarily the butt high <laughs> it's abdomen low. And you're like, well, just lift that, lift well, your ab, round that spine a little bit. And they go, Oh, okay. That's not so bad. So a lot of times, Good intentions are, what is it? The road to hell is paid with good intentions. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're like, oh, what core exercise, a sit-up, um, a plank. A sit-up is actually one of the least effective ways to target your abs. Because that's more like hip flexors, right? Ideally, and, yes. And some of your quads. Correct. Like how you're holding your feet or, or, or whatnot. Yeah, and I, I'll just add to it because Chase is hitting and dropping a lot of gems. Um, how we, How I like to look at it, and I think Chase would agree, is we look at it in force vectors. Okay, so that's a different. That was a different force vector. Right. So there's always there's always there's always force vectors interacting with the skeleton as a whole or your body as a whole. So to Chase's point, when you're introducing movements that resist planes of motion that your body will eventually experience underneath load, you're setting yourself up for success. Mm. If you replicate movements that your body experiences that are causing pain, but now you add load, counterproductive, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I, if Chase was to put his hand out and I was to press into his hand while he resists me, that's an anti-rotational movement that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So right now, his trunk, his shoulder, from his shoulders all the way down to his hips is turned on, right? So when you think about creating a more durable version of yourself, the more you're able to resist, the better. Okay. That's good. I like that. <clears throat> I wanted to come back to the cold water exposure real quick because okay. it's another really easy thing that people can implement into their daily exercise. Mm. You don't need like how you did it in college with big, what did you say you guys used? Like the big, uh, the big trash cans. Like big the trash cans. You know what I'm talking about? Because they had like 30 of them laid out right. there and, and you, before awesome. you left the field, you had to jump in there for like two minutes and coaches are sitting there timing us. And Because sometimes people hear cold water screaming. exposure and they're like, well, I don't have this big bath. Or I don't have time to do something like that. But cold water exposure is really, really good for the stress response because it's one of the primary ways that we actually get the stress response to happen. When you mm. expose yourself to cold water, you have the same type of threat reflex. So the that's same the, types of things that get released. That's a big thing now, right? Well, well who's the guy um, in, is he in Iceland or, or like, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, Wim, Wim, Hof. Wim Hof. Yes. He, he actually you know, came to sports Academy and did a full in-service for us. Is that what we're day. talking about? Like, yeah. like that exposure to like, to that level. I mean, cause that dude is like, <laughs> he's a legend. Like, yeah. Right. right. It's like naked oh. in the wild. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, you're literally walking around <laughs> with like shorts on and like flip flops. And it's like snow. The tribe of people behind him also naked. Like, yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. here's the thing when it's you talk awesome. about oh. training, when you were talking awesome. about we we put things into real time to make it feel like, okay, when it actually happens, I'll be ready. Right. Cold water exposure warrants that response, that built-in threat response. And so if you can learn to tolerate that, mm. right, you're practicing that response. So then when it actually happens, 
on duty, you have built not only the mental grit for it, but your body has built this like readiness and preparation for it. There's something in your brain called the insula and it's, it's primary job is to basically constantly assess what's happening within me versus what, what's happening to me in my environment. Mm -hmm. So when you think of the threat reflex, uh, threat reflex on duty, usually that's out of your control. You didn't ask for it. You, you, You didn't, you know, you didn't bring that on yourself somebody else's decisions did. So there's this negative association, right? When you bring on stress by yourself and it's on your terms, you can turn that shower at any point. You can stop the cold water exposure at any point, but you know it's something that's good for you because cold water exposure increases circulation. um, It decreases inflammation. um, It also activates your lymphatic system, which its job is to pull toxins away from primary organs. So there's a lot of really good benefits for it. So when you practice that, now your brain has this new positive association with the stress reflex. So then when it happens next time, you're kind of like, oh, I've been here, I've done this. Start in the shower. You don't have to do full submersion. So even, I mean, research shows five minutes every day of self-induced stress, like cold water exposure, is the best way to build resilience, especially for our first responders. Five minutes in a cold shower is a long time. So I would say if you can start with challenging yourself to at the end of your shower, turn that thing to where it's cold, 30 seconds. And if you can add in a physiological sigh or two while it's happening, now you're not only bringing on stress, right? You're, you're putting yourself in that state. You're practicing nervous system regulation. It's basically like this thing like, hell yeah, like look at that faucet and be like, bring it on. Like whatever yeah. you got for me today, I'm ready. My so wife's going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh, she's going to know what you're doing. I said the, not in the shower anymore. <laughs> the water's cold, man. The friggin', I'm, I'm, I'm in there sighing and breathing. Screaming. <laughs> Screaming. Bring on the stress. Yeah. But it's an easy way. I would say definitely after a critical incident in your 72-hour protocol, be implementing it right before shift. Right, because you're also yeah. lowering your basal temperature, which means so just, that you'll be able to perform just longer. Up to five minutes, just up to five minutes. Five minutes. Anything actually more than five minutes, they show is actually not as not helpful good. for the system. Hmm. Um, five minutes or less. So if you can start with thirty seconds and just build that, pretty th- pretty soon thirty seconds becomes a minute, two minutes, and yeah. now all of a sudden we're doing five minutes, yeah. and you're like, I can do this. So then you step out of that shower, and life does this at you and throws you a curveball. Your body's like, I can handle this because I do it all the time in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, he does. Wait, what are we talking about? That's Sorry, so weird. Topic, so weird. No, you're, it, there's all. There's it, yeah. This show has no topic at all. Um, okay, the prevention, warming up. I know, I do not do that at all. I mean, I kind of warm up with some lighter weights when I'm doing whatever it is I'm going to do for that day, but I don't like wear like a hoodie and get on the treadmill for. <laughs> you know, five minutes or I don't, you know, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. How important is a true full body warm up? even though I'm like doing like a push day or a pull day or whatever it is. Very important when it comes to specificity of what you're doing for that day. So does it need a 30 minute, you know, incline treadmill walk before you do that? You can make the argument that you could probably get your core temperature up in about five minutes doing a couple different key exercises that actually benefit what you're trying to do. So say it's a upper push day, a horizontal press day, getting ready for, you know, so heavy load on the barbell press. I know I should identify what's what we like to call kind of like a pre pre flight checklist, you know, from a performance standpoint. So I'm identifying the primary movers that I'm looking to attack. Okay. The the, the agonist and then the antagonist, okay, the stabilizers, the support muscles in, in inside of that area. So I definitely want to do something that's getting my chest going. I'd like to think about some sort of shoulder 
uh, activation series, some rotator cuff strength, health, anything to kind of get pre-exhaust, uh, you know, out of the way for my wrists, my forearm and grip. Um, and then once you identify those kind of clusters of exercise, you can set up about a tri set of exercises or a quad set of exercises where you're actually doing four to six exercises, but that is your warm up. but you're actually getting the blood moving, you're getting the body moving, but it's localized and specific to the day. But you're warming up. So like if we're doing like a chest day or, or, you know, you guys are, excuse me, like working like a bench press or Mm -hmm. whatever it is, getting ready for the combine. I'm doing some light shoulder presses, maybe some light tricep stuff. I'm not doing a chest press. I'm not, or am I? You you would, you would. So you think about it in three different blocks. So you think about it and there's a soft tissue series, right? You need to be able to do some type of foam rolling, soft tissue, open up the muscle that you're going to go do. And then after that, you get into the next next phase, which is more kind of targeted movements towards the actual movement. So that could be if we're doing a press day, we might like a push up with a side plank. So horizontal abduction. So now I'm getting myself into a little bit of a stability fact, you know, so I'm getting the nervous system going that way. Then I might get into a cable rear delt, internal, external shoulder, overhead. I might do I's, T's, Y's. Now my rotator cuffs are falling. Everything's kind of flowing. Then for my bench, depending on what I'm doing for the day, mm-hmm. let's say it's a five by five. Let's say it's a, a you know German volume training, ten by ten. I would like to lead into it with some sort of progressive warm up, whether that be like a eight six four, a ten eight six, but something that starts from a forty to fifty percent of your recommended and incrementally climbs, so that your body's kind of tagging, ready to go. So you don't think- want to jump into eighty percent at three reps cold. See, that's where, that's where like, I think that we're dropping the ball uh, when it comes to working out is in college, right? We talked about that. We, we had our baseline, we maxed out and those were our numbers on like bench press, squat, hang clean, power clean, stuff like that. So we knew what a percentage when he said, Hey, today we're doing 50%, whatever it was, we knew what to dude. I wouldn't know what a percentage is right now of, of and, and we can do that. We can do that. With, with first and sports academy that's what you guys, and that's something that you we guys can set a we can that. set a, a load velocity profile for you right now currently well, well it kind of so. goes back to knowing hey what when i go shoot what can i shoot this drill in okay yep. here's the pack timer knowing those it it kind of goes back to that as well just having a baseline for that so same question but now we just brief or oh, we're going to go hit this house on a warrant uh you got the guys going to be slamming and maybe reporting covering a window and the other guys were making entry. Is there anything that you would suggest to do or, or to warm up for this event that we're about to go do? Uh, yes. Is it practical? I don't know. I've never been in, in it, that direction. It could direct, be. I mean, there, there's but, time. I mean, guys get dressed. Okay. I mean, most of the time it's not, hey, hurry, hurry, hurry. We got to get the. Now, there is there time? Yes. But a lot of times we can, you know, if we need yep. three minutes or something like that, guys can get that. Yep. Um, well, I think, I think Chase, if you want to talk about the tissue prep and kind of how that, and, but again, and it's, it's tough, right? Cause it's real world situation. So it's not like you have 15 minutes for, yeah, you know, a hundred percent. I think that's, that's the main challenge is the job doesn't allow, but you know, you look at any, you know, the gold standard is a professional athlete. They get to the stadium five hours before the game, right? Five hours, what are they doing? Well, they're eating, they're prepping mentally, watching film, they're warming up. I mean, these guys warm up, they're out there doing sprints. Like, what they waste all their energy for? They're getting their body ready. Mm -hmm. And for what? For a 60 minute game? Yeah. That's an hour. You know, you guys are on shift 8, 10, 12. Mm -hmm. 
it's not even close. And so I think part of it is also looking at when Dr. Tina kind of talked about this as well. And then with Nate looking at how do you, is it a culture change? Is it looking at how to implement changes within the system of making it part of shift, making it a team thing where the, your, your certain teams, Hey, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes before we go out, we're going to do some form of 60% effort workout routine. You pick what you want. You like the heavy lift. You like to do cardio, whatever it is. We just got to make sure we're all individually ready rather than I show up, I punch the clock, I'm dressed, let's go. Yeah. Like that's just going to get it done. And it might not happen how it is, but yeah. a lot of departments, potentially there's some, some that that's the approach. Yeah. And I think that's where you run into the lack of physical readiness, lack of mental preparedness. Um, and then that cycle tends to, tends to yeah. spiral. Cause like for me, I'm not a, I'm not a, a slammer, but a guy's going to pick up a, you know, 40 pound, 30 pound slammer and he's going to hit a damn door. There's a, a lot of movement going on. There's a lot of torque and, and things like that, or someone's going to bust out a window. Yeah. Um, you know, me, if I go inside a house, yeah, it's, it's me moving, but for the most part, I'm not picking up stuff and it, it's just more of movement. I guess your body's yeah. just warm instead of just sitting there, yeah. but just a little tips of, of guys. Hey, maybe I can do this or do that. If you fall, I think if you fall into a specific paradigm that requires you to perform certain movements, yeah. you should be proficient in understanding how to prep yourself for that movement. So if a slammer needs to perform three to five heavy rotational uh, impacts against a door with a 50 pound, 60 pound, whatever it is. And that's not you. Yeah your training program shouldn't represent what his looks like. Right. That's, so that's right. what I did. And when I was slamming doors, when I first came to SWAT, I would do uh, rotational ball slams uh, left and right, you know, against the, like with the medicine ball, you know, and I would do those after my workouts because that's was, that was my primary movement mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I'm just kind of working out just to kind of try to not just, not to get too fat. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, that's, that, that's our, that's our goal is just to always go back and bring the evidence base, the, the yeah. scientific approach to yeah. training because there is such a need for it. And then the more specific we can be, the better. Yeah. And I, and I don't think I actually got to cover your question earlier. You kind of acted asked pretty pointedly was, is it 30 minutes? You know, what is it? Yeah. And I think post shift, you know, all the research supports 30 minutes of moderate exercise and that's relative to the individual. So they like to use an RPE scale rate of perceived exertion, zero to 10, zero. I was not working at all. 10 is I'm at my max somewhere around a six, six to seven mm -hmm. in terms of how much effort I'm putting into this, mm -hmm. anything related to that. That's what you really need to be doing post shift again, not that high intensity workout. You can do that. But like Dr. Mm -hmm. T was mentioning about post, like after just after. to kind of get my mind right Correct. and then I get some of those chemicals out. Right. Correct. And I think, and Dr. He's going to hit on this, but I think the important factor, like she was mentioning is the seesaw effect is just because you're off shift doesn't mean your body is mm -hmm. done. Yeah. And I think the key point is the fight or flight recognizing your body's going to do one or the other. You just did a fight potentially likely, but now what are you going to do with that rest of that energy that's still sitting in your system? Your body has to do something with that. So mm -hmm. potentially flight, get yeah. out and move. Mm -hmm. And so the worst thing you could do is you go home with it and just do nothing, nothing. or it, what are a lot of the options that are typically done now. So if the individual in the department is not comfortable in the gym, hasn't used to the gym is not comfortable that the message is there. Just do something. Just walk, or, <laughs> walk, walk like Dr. T said, walk forward, forward just movement. walk forward. forward that's movement. it. That's it. And just do it 30 minutes and that will help get your body to release. What it's designed to do is flight fight. In a perfect world <laughs> shift work would incorporate this into it. it 
Yeah. Because yeah. most first responders oh, at the end, at the end yeah, where you're still being paid for those 30 minutes, but this is yeah. now where you recover because mm. we need you to come back on the next shift and be ready. Cause if they don't include it, if they're just like, thanks so much for your time, you did great. And your system's all in that, like, what the hell did we just go through? Yeah. And then like Chase was saying, and you go home and you don't have a decompression mm-hmm. strategy. It's not built into your home system. Again, Mood might be all over the place, especially if something terrible happened on shift. Now your brain's working through that trauma. Now there might be some intrusiveness of that. I mean, we're sending first responders home. Their systems are all activated and there's no recovery. So if, and if this perfect world never happens where you actually get paid to recover from mm-hmm. what we ask you to go out to do when you are serving your communities, you have to have a game plan when you get home home. and it has to be communicated with your family members. And sometimes you might have to modify, like we were talking about, sometimes you might get home and spouse is like, I I need you right now. You can't give me those 30. I need you right now. Okay, perfect. When can I get my 30 in? Okay. After I'm done doing this. Okay. Let me go back and whether it's a walk, whether it's go sit on the edge of your bed and do some of your physiological size, whether it's jump in the shower and do some cold water exposure, there has to be something. Ideally, like Chase was saying, 30 minutes, I'll take 10. But you have to do something, do something. or else and we be are, consistent with it. And be consistent with it. So, Chase, Nate, any workout, as long as I'm consistent, doing something to get my heart rate elevated, to take out some of that stress, we're good, right? Or Yes. <laughs> Globally. As he's like rolling his eyes like, jeez. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just say, if I, if I, again, I might be throwing out terms. I mean, you like to think of the said principle. So specific adaptations to impose demands. Okay. So think about that when you address your training. If I need to prepare myself for specific things, I should be training specifically. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a marathon runner, I'm training for a marathon. Right. If I punch things hor- with a rotational movement, mm-hmm. I need to have extremely strong grip strength, but mm-hmm. my hips need to be mobile internally on one side and externally on the other. Maybe hot yoga is beneficial for that. Mm-hmm because I'm knocking out two birds with one stone. Okay. Then my training program needs to be intentionally focused towards something like that, right? Okay. You talked about so med ball. Could a could a personal trainer at one of the big box gyms could mm, they help you with that or I not, mean because this is more Not really. It's this more, is more it's sports more, specific. Yeah, 100%. Right? It, it's it's people that are sitting before you today yeah. that have spent their lives in the educational world gleaning mm. and, and studying and bringing all this kind of knowledge to you guys and what we're trying to do is provide it accessibly for all. For so we're starting with our location here, right? But the goal is to be as mobile as possible. Mm-hmm. And then after that, more locations. And then after that, digital. We talking about like on the road seminars? Kind of like what you did with, with his agency? Yep. Mobile wellness trainings. So just extremely more robust. Mind and body. Mind and body. Bringing our technology to the departments. Doing department consults. Gym retrofitting consults. Speaking with their fitness for duty instructors at the location who, you know, nine times out of 10 may not have the backgrounds. That so, they, so let me yeah. ask you this. <laughs> if we have an academy class yep. of 30 officers or, or, or cadets or whatever it is, you potentially have got 30 different workouts. Maybe because you'll find reoccurring themes across the board with the group. So you might have three, three groups inside of that where 60% of them fall into category A, category B. So three groups doing separate workouts at the same time. So as that fit for duty instructor, you got to look at 
the 30 individual and goes, okay, you guys need to work on this. You guys need to work on this. And, and it might be something, again, when we talk about the specificity as it gets to the elite spectrum, that's where it gets extremely nuanced. And we, and we can go day in and day out about what's better and, and how do we do it. At the level of entry, which is just training 101 and learning how to move properly, mm-hmm. it might be as beneficial as group A is doing single leg work because we've identified there's a 30% asymmetry from right to left on their legs. This group needs to work single leg only. They do not need to be bilaterally squatting at all. Mm. Okay. That's individual programming right there. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Then group who has zero asymmetry, but has lacks absolute strength. Well, we need to make sure that they have relative strength first. Are they strong enough to move their body weight through body weight squats? If they are, we'll start introducing load. So it becomes specific. It becomes specific in that, in that area. For that academy class, can you guys come to the agency and go, hey, you know, because, you know, <clears throat> working out is part of the basic academy. I yep. mean, it's a lot more, you know, now than it was when I went through uh, almost 20 years ago. And I'm sure, uh, you know, when you went through, yeah. what, what, 35, 40 years ago. You just ago. kicked your ass. Um, you know, but I think that's one of those things is where, you know, if you guys can come and, and, and kind of help that fit for duty instructor kind of, you know, program because, I mean – they're, they don't have the experience that you guys have when it comes to, to working out. Maybe they're like a level one CrossFit dude, right? And they can program like a CrossFit workout or they just steal the workouts off a, off a CrossFit website somewhere, right? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and I think it's simple things, right? That, and I, get, I feel like I'm hogging the zone here, but I'll, I'll just say this. It, we want to make this type of thing be not so exclusive anymore, right? This performance world that's like, oh, man, what is – geez, what does, uh, you know, Randy Gregory from the Cowboys do, man, I wish he's so powerful and explosive. He's six, eight, two Oh, wow. Great. Or, Hey, what does LeBron do? What yeah. that type of information and technology and support needs to be av- available to you guys so that yeah. you guys don't end up in CrossFit box gyms. Mm-hmm. If it was so readily available, this, we, this wouldn't even be a conversation. It'd be more a refinement. Right. Like, Hey, what, what are you guys on the latest technology over at Garland? Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys got velocity based units that you think, okay, great. So you guys are up to date. You guys know. Okay. So it becomes more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Then it becomes about, well, you know, do I do a barbell or a dumbbell today? So I think that's, <laughs> what, that's, that's ultimately my goal in the yeah. performance world is to bring that level of consistency and education because that's what we do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, what's the velocity thing you're talking about? Uh, VBT. So it's a linear transducer unit. So it measures bar speed. Is that the, so, uh, when the Cowboys were, uh, in Irving, I worked out at the, at the ranch as it was years ago when I was in college and they had the machines that, so like say bench press and like a, like a row, it was explosive power on the bench press. And then you're immediately rowing, like pulling it back down. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Uh, was it a Kaiser machine? Did it say, was it air, was it air pressure? Was there air associated with it yeah, or was it actual remember. weight? Uh, it was, it, it wasn't weight. It wasn't like we were like loaded up. He would, he would do something, but I remember exploding up off the chest as hard as I could okay. and then immediately getting to like that almost lockout and then trying to, would it be forcing you back down? No, I would have to force you it would back force down. it back. Down. Same thing with like the leg ascension, leg curl, seated leg ascension, leg curl, okay. boom, boom, you know, um, it sounds like a very, if it's not Kaiser, like a pneumatic system where they use air compression to regulate, um, weight. And it keeps, again, the thought of that is there's a force velocity curve that happens at any joint angle. So if you use a weight stack and you do a very fast leg extension, yeah. there's going to be a point when there's no contraction of the muscle happening and there's no weight. So I was getting at what my, 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 my follow-up was, is that something that like our departments are going to invest in, right? It's because not, it's, it's not easy a, to go and buy some hammer string yeah. stuff and throw in a broom somewhere versus buying 
a piece of equipment like that. It's actually not as expensive as, as you might think. And it, and it becomes just using the tools like that in your everyday life and just that. being smarter about sets and reps and programming and, and understanding the regulation and de-escalation strategies and how your recovery plays into all that. It doesn't necessarily mean you need 2000, you know, 200,000 yeah. to, to retrofit your guys' gym. There's easy ways to do it. And that's part of the program too, is you going out and providing the training at the department, but mm-hmm. also looking at what you currently have as far as like gym equipment, what you currently have as far as what you okay. equipment when it For comes that. to training. And then, you know, the experts give their opinions about like that, you know, this is probably what I would invest in more, you know, and it comes down to, you got to take care of your people mm-hmm. right now. It can't be about this like next wave of wellness. Like you got to take care of the people who are part of your department today. And so we got to catch up because our whole thing is healthy body, healthy mind, for the, healthy mind, healthy body. You got yeah. to cover all the components. So in the academy, 100%. Let, so let the experts come in and then let's do the educational piece. If we call that. you to the agency, I have, I, no, I have dude, a phone number. Hey, I have hey, a phone hey, number to how share. Does, how does 469 352 7491 sound? Let's call it and see what happens. Dude, let's do it. The, <laughs> inter, it. the internet. It. Now, let me, let me so, ask you this is, is there a certain, I guess, personality type that maybe fits better or works better as a law enforcement officer than say this personality type or this personality type, or is it just, it doesn't matter. Like, or does that make even sense? Cause sometimes no, it I does. have things in my mind and it comes out. I'm like, shit, that's stupid. <laughs> but I'm just sitting here thinking, I, I, I just would look never at my, call you stupid. Yeah. But I just look at my, I would. well, I just look at different personalities along the, uh, in the, in the police department. And, and there's some like, I'm like, Man, you just your personality when you came here. I knew you when you came here before the department really sunk its fangs into you the, of yeah, society. You, you were already kind of yeah. Like jacked up is a is bit. there is 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 there anything like that, or I'm just had some shit that just came out. Like, I think it's a great question. I think we could probably all impact the answer, but like words that come to mind is I think you have to have someone who hopefully at some part of their core gets into the job because they actually want to do good. Mm-hmm. They want to protect, they want to serve others. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be discipline to do that. And I think that there has to be, even though you guys avoid it like the plague, there has to be some level of vulnerability to be able to say, you know, could I have maybe done that different or could I be healthier here? Or could I maybe, you know, change things here? I think if someone is flexible and has some cognitive flexibility to them mm-hmm. and isn't just like stuck in their ways and is unable to they see won't. a bigger picture or to take some feedback, um, all of those components come to mind when I think of someone who is going to be able to get through this career and someone who's able to also, when we talk about vulnerability, ask someone for help. I mm-hmm. mean, it doesn't have to be like, again, when I, when I do some trainings and we talk about, you know, the lens and I, I say fill in the blank, people are what, what do you guys think? Some of the instant fill in the blank words I get when I talk to first responders, people are assholes, assholes, people <laughs> are shitty, shitty. People are stupid, stupid, incompetent. I right? like this game. <laughs> you hear I love this game. Can win. Can it's like my jeopardy. <laughs> what is asshole? <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why those are the common responses. Yeah. I think a big piece of it is if I ask you, how many calls have you gone to that probably could have been prevented? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, S- <laughs> like 99% oh, right. of them. In some, exactly. Probably in some way. Right. Yeah. Right. So when you think about my profession mm-hmm. and I, 
same thing of like what makes good first responder. Mm-hmm. Like I, I genuinely care about the first responder right. community and I'm a family member. So right. it's, 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 I, I promise it's authentic, but I can't tell you how many times I feel the way that you guys do yeah. when I now have someone in front of me and I'm sitting here looking at him like, shit, like this didn't have to get to this point or this right. could have been prevented. And a lot of times it comes from the fact that no one told them yeah. they weren't trained. They left, they left this piece out mm-hmm. um, and they were trained incorrectly, even on the physical side. Cause yeah. I will tell you a lot of first responders will say a lot of first responders, you know, get injured in mm-hmm. this line of work because oh, yeah. of the demands being injured, being pulled off duty is one or some of the darkest days of their lives. Yeah. It's a huge psychological component to when you're no longer able to do what you've wanted to do for so long. And now you're at home and now you're not even able to help the spouse. And now you feel less than, and yeah. now you just, you have, access to pain pills and some alcohol. And then right. doctor says, Oh yeah, you're ready to go back. Are you ready to go back? Yeah. So if you're someone who's sitting here right now, listening to this being like, I'm someone who's injured and off right now, again, slow it down, take a look at what type of decisions, how are we being tactful with right. this? But again, from my side, the frustration is let's get ahead of it. Let's mitigate how much we are injuring the people we ask to go out and do this type of job. Let's yeah. use actual experts who have, like Nate said, eloquently like put their life's work and education into making sure that people like you have the best yeah. that you deserve so that you can go out there and do a job that most of us don't want to do right. and can't do. I remember young in my career, I had a really bad Achilles uh, injury that I had surgery and, and for like six months. I mean, I was on crutches for a long time and, I remember not feeling like a man anymore. Like I couldn't protect my family. I remember there was a, a tornado that kind of started coming down and you could see it. And I thought, Oh shit, man, like I can hardly move myself. I can't really get my family. And, uh, you know, I gained weight. There was issues just of just feeling like shit. And I remember my wife telling me like, you're just miserable to be around. And it took me a while to get out of that funk. And even when I got quote released, I still didn't feel the same. I still didn't have this. I still wasn't able to run as fast. And it took me a while to get back to where I was. And that was a mental thing for me for a while. And that was young in my career. Um, and that, that really hurts. So when you say that, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and I think when the first time I met you, you came to our department and you started, you, you did like, a, I don't know, three hour session or two hour session or something like that. And within five minutes, it's kind of like when you see someone, get on the SWAT team. You're like, within five minutes, you're going to know, Hey, that guy's going to be good. Uh, or man, we're going to have some work. So within the first five minutes, I thought, man, she really connects, connects with, with police officers. She really understands. She has had those ugly ass conversations and she's probably been a part of that with her in our own life, personally with, uh, dad and, and brother. So, there was an instant connection that you understood us. And that wasn't, I'm a doctor. I've gone through all this training, so I know more than you. So I'm going to tell you how this should work. It was so much just empathy. And I, and I think that's what makes you really unique. And, and, I, and it has to be hard because there's only one of you. There's not a team that has you cloned uh, so that that makes it hard. And I, and I think that's why you have been so successful in, in doing this because you so relate, like you said, you, you really care about what's going on in the first responder world. Um, and, and I think that's really unique. And, 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 and I, and I always tell people, Hey, you need to check this out so much. So like, just so I don't forget you're teaching at the conference this year, uh, the SWAT conference. So yes, you're teaching a, all of us. Yeah. We're so, so all three of you going to be there. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. 
So and it's going to be experiential too. We're yeah. bringing like equipment, and it's going to be experience for you guys. It's going to be good for you guys. So I think that that just it, it just you have blood in the game as well. It's not just you're sitting back as a Boston because I remember the very first time I went for my quote. Is this guy fit to go back to duty after my first involve of uh, shooting? And I remember going to the office and the psychologist just being, first of all, scared to say anything because, oh gosh, are they going to take my gun? Man, am I going to be, am I going to be the same cop? Because what's he going to tell the, the department? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? So much so when as I'm and I and I teach a, an off duty class and I and I talk about this in my class, I sit there. And just like we are right now, but there's no table here. So we're this close. So that's already weird because there's no barrier between us. And I'm sitting there talking to this guy and he has little wizards everywhere. And that's fucking weird to begin with. I went to that guy. Yeah. 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 The, the wizard guy. Yeah. Yes. So, so what I did was, yeah, I started talking about his stupid ass wizards. Yeah. Yeah. And it totally Too got, it, dude, it totally <laughs> got him off guard. And we started talking about his wizards versus talking about what, whatever I did. Right, it's, you it's, great. Yeah, it's great. Cause he has <laughs> wizards. That's the reason why <laughs> I'm like, did you paint these wizards? He's like, Oh yeah, these are, these are my, I was yeah. like, yeah, dude, let's do He's this. Like, that looks like my wizard. Did you get it at the store? Yeah. Was it half off? Was it the uh, wizard yeah. store? Yes. Yeah. I'm telling you, it, it's so weird. So I'm in there and I'm very, very guarded and I don't want to say much. And we are talking and then all of a sudden he sticks his finger up his nose and pulls out the biggest <laughs> damn booger you've ever seen and sticks it underneath this, his chair. And I'm thinking, what the fuck are we doing here? Is, is someone, is this a test? Are you? Am I supposed to act and run out of the room? Am I supposed to say something? What's the end gamer? That's truly what I'm thinking. And I'm also thinking, damn, man, I can't believe this just happened. <laughs> we keep on with this conversation. A few minutes later, he does the same thing, just the other nostril. Pulls out, same thing, big-ass booger. Puts it underneath there. So I'm thinking, fuck, dude, did I fail the first time? Is Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? How many boogers are underneath there? There's so many things going through my mind that, I mean, and I always tell people, if you think going to the psychologist that your department makes you go to because it's just a checklist for them, and, and not being mean, it's just that it is what it is. If you think that person's going to help you get through this, you're you're fooling yourself. And I say that in in a productive way because you're going to need help after that just to navigate some things that you don't know about yet. Uh, and, and and it's funny because this whole conversation, we have not talked about PTSD. It's just the whole piling on of shit after shit after shit right. after this whole career. And we haven't even spoken about that. And, and And you can obviously speak about that, but it's just a accumulation of just stuff that's not necessarily PTSD. It's just man, I fucking am not the same guy. I started day one in the academy to, to now of just life of, of experiencing, hey, my daughter, you know, just wants to kill herself. My son wants to do this. My wife does this, you know, and, and that's a beating. Well, trauma changes people. And yeah. It's supposed to. You're supposed to change with trauma. But it's, again, about I being, think that's good to know, though. Like, yeah. I've never really heard that. I'm like, wow. You probably said it, but. 
Okay, I just heard that. So that that's good to know. And I I appreciate the kind words. I'd like to say to the to the booger psychologist listening right now. <laughs> thank you, because you are the reason first responders do never go never come back. We have this yeah. like window of opportunity. But yeah. I'd like to also say if you have been to a booger psychologist, you had a bad experience. <laughs> I, I appreciate the kind words that there's only one of me. Yeah. Um, but first has because of the connections and the relationships. First is expanding not only with these incredible team members sitting next to me, but I also have about nine therapists through first as well who are also good. all personally vetted by myself awesome. and trained. Um, and when you talked about, you know, you don't have to live in North Texas. Um, if you're somewhere else in the state of Texas, we have telehealth available. You can call 469-352-7491. <laughs> and we that can- That was like a real jingle. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. 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 And we can set something up to where, you know what, if it's from the comfort of your own home or it's from the comfort of, you know, after your shift and you just need, you just need to like talk to someone and say like, are these things normal? Because <laughs> I will tell you the things that- spirals most of my first responders even more than trauma exposure is the assumptions they put to their own responses because they're not informed by them and not good enough is the number one belief system that I constantly hear. Right. And so if you're struggling with that and we just need to normalize some of your responses, that can go a long way when it comes to occupational resiliency Um, rather than questioning. Cause you guys are also notorious for comparing your responses to each other. Please don't cause trauma is different for everyone. And and there's so many layers to it, but just know if you're having responses, most likely they're normal. If it's starting to impair things in your life, please call the number and, and let's just make a game plan together. Yeah. So I have yeah. a question. Um, a lot of departments have peer support groups. Yes. Our clinical psychologists that are on staff kind of like what you're talking about. Um, do you guys work with them or are they going to feel like you guys? So like if somebody calls you and says, hey, we want you guys to come in and kind of help out my agency or my department, are they going to feel like you're coming in stepping on their toes. Do you guys work together? Like, how does that, what is it a I've, problem or not? Right. No, what I've experienced up to this point, thank you for talking about the peer support also. Um, cause I want to mention the training. Um, I've noticed a lot of departments don't have a clinical psychologist on staff that's there for them. What some departments will have is like a mental health provider who's there to help them with the mental health calls they go on, yeah. but not always there designated for, for them. So, so I think she does both for like for my agency. I think okay. she does both and I've never had a, um, a dealing with her. I've never been asked to go, you know, whatever, cause something happens in my agency, you're required to go you know, speak to her or whatever it is. We also have officers that are trained in that peer support kind of role or role. Right. Uh, I've never talked to those guys, but I, I I don't know. I I mean, I'm, I can probably say with 99%, she doesn't have your background with being from LA family or, or or dealing with some of the stuff that you've, you know, dealt with. So what I will say is if you have someone in your department, that's fantastic. Like, vet them out, mm. feel it out, you yeah. know, but if, if sometimes that's a little too close to home for some people yeah. and they want to go outside of that, what I will also say is some psychologists are really love the therapy part and they don't love the training part. I happen to, I really love both, but some psychologists don't love to do the training. So still yeah. coming in and doing a training, I, I will happily reach out and like connect with that you know, that psychologist. And if they don't want to do the training part, let me do that piece and then introduce them. So they know this is someone who you can go to. So we, we work all together because the whole goal, you know, we all have the same goals just to make sure you guys are being taken care of. So what advice would you give an officer who was involved in a shooting and had to go speak to someone, Mm -hmm. uh, for the checklist still, like as far as just, you have to say, what you're feeling, but I guess, how do you, how do you, how do you 
let a guy know that, hey, it's good to say this, to get it out, because you're not going to get labeled as, hey, man, we got to take his gun away. He can't be a cop anymore. He can't do this, because that, that's a natural, natural fear. So I guess, how, how would you how would you inform an officer about that? What, what, what would your advice be, I guess? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I mean, I always want anyone who is if anything is concerning them, whether it's where their brain keeps going when it comes to the call, whether it's their heart keeps doing this weird thing or they're having like major stomach, you know, upset mm-hmm. after, of course, your your well-being is the priority. So share those things so that someone can help you with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also tough because I've heard some of the horror stories. I'm sure yeah. you have too, of you don't have someone who is competent on the other side of that officer yeah. and they're making decisions that I'm not quite sure how they got to that decision. It doesn't mm-hmm. make a lot of sense. So one thing you could do is you can look into the acute stress response. Mm. You can kind of educate yourself on it. And if there's things that are actually quite normal, um, that can maybe give you some peace of mind before you get in that room so that you know how to speak to it. And you can even say, you know, I know these things are normal, but yeah, my anxiety has been through the roof since it, this happened two days right, ago, or I'm, I'm having some sleep issues. I know it's normal to have some nightmares and especially in those first three mm. days, these are some of the things so that, it's almost like if you do have someone who's not competent, you're coming in with the, hey, I already know what's normal. I'm right. going to say it's normal okay, yeah, and I'm going to then sense. highlight it. What can you do to help me with it? Or is there anything? And hopefully that. that person will come from a place of support rather than a place of judging or, or trying to make a, a decision based yeah, on. Right. That makes sense. So. All right. So we've been talking for about two hours Sorry. and 15 minutes. No, that's great. Wow. I mean, I, I do. I yeah. think it needs to get out there. So quick. Um, since you just kind of been talking a little bit, I'm gonna let Nate talk a little bit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are we talking about? Exactly. What are we here for? All right. So, Hey, uh, any final words or anything, man, we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Um, just excitement. I think, I think there's a necessity here and we have the resources and we're excited to be able to mm-hmm. display as much as we can be as, be as open and transparent as possible. And like I said, we're, we're hitting the boots, you know, hitting the ground running and excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be great that you guys are coming to the conference. Cause yeah. you, you're going to have you know, a thousand eyes pass, pass by your booth or, or teach, you know, um, depending on how many people you guys allow in your class. I mean, yeah. are y'all doing a booth, y'all or y'all? I think we're trying to do both of okay. like a four hour training block and then also have a booth, booth. that's okay. there with Good. our information. I'll, I'll talk to you when we get done here. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll get that uh, set up. Um, and then what, what, what's your, cl- what's the class name? So if guys are looking for that, what well, do you remember what it is? Oh my gosh. What, what did y'all title it? I know that's something like a comprehensive skills training. We might've had tactical athlete thrown in there somewhere. Okay. Um, but it's, it's the, Comprehensive skills that's, training that's for the very close athlete. to what I remember. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, the oh. chandeliers. Maybe we can, <laughs> dude, it's nice. I know. Uh, maybe we can put that on the. When we posted it. Yeah. As well. Do we need to get you guys a chandelier for your training? I, I think so. At okay. this point, I'm, I know this is a fancy yeah, dude, place. Well, you, well, your head's so close to it. Like, <laughs> it's like us normal sized human beings are down here. Uh, yeah, because uh, you're normal size. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wide. He's tall. Uh, Doctor T, Mister T, um, final <laughs> words. <laughs> Oh yeah, pass uh, it's, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you guys. I really appreciate the the insight, and the info, and getting to share with you guys. Um, as cheesy as it sounds, your body's a tool. Take care of it, mm-hmm. you know, and it'll take care of you. And especially as it supports mental health, and then making sure mentally to help take care of your body. Good, Doctor T. I've got to follow that. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> try to top. If you guys well, your see, brain. He the mic. Yeah, he, yeah. he really yeah. did. I just had to pick it up it. off the floor. Jeez. Okay. Um, what I would say is, this is 
in my opinion, the toughest job on the planet uh-huh. and departments have a responsibility yeah. and you have a responsibility as individuals. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you're a department listening, if you're an individual listening and you feel like, I don't know if we are being as tactful as we can with this and including all components of this mental, physiological, physical, cognitive, emotional, all the fun words, um, please reach out, please let us help you with this. Um, because we really stand behind the program that we have built out. We're really excited to get this to become the new standard of wellness. Uh, That's a, that's a goal for us. Um, come see us at the conference in May. We can't wait to meet you. And if you are part of a peer support team, or if you don't have a peer support team and you're just a a department that wants to learn more about wellness and resiliency, um, please join us March 30th through April 1st at the state of the art facility sports Academy at the star in Frisco. Yep. And we are doing a peer support and resiliency training. T. Cole credits are available thanks to Plano PD um, being our our sponsor agency with that. So um, again, call the number, visit the website. Registration is live. What number? The number is four six nine three five two seven four nine one. Oh, look at that voice! Yeah, that was like, yeah. boom. Yeah. Maybe she needs to have our new intro. Yeah, yeah. Our new intro. <laughs> yeah. And we'll then you thank you guys. Yeah. yeah. And then Instagram. What do you, What are you on Instagram? So on Instagram, we are about to create all of the the joint again. Same thing with our website. It's getting okay. a complete revamp to um, you know show all of the components of the program. Mm-hmm. But I am my I kind of do just little fun facts, little videos, educational pieces behind the scenes as, as far as being a first responder psychologist and that is at dr.t.first I believe. I don't know what you look at. I don't know. This On is Instagram? your stuff. I don't know. Yeah, the <laughs> handle is like dr.t.first I'm pretty sure if you can confirm it. And then on Facebook um, it's like dr.t.texas Yeah, dr.t.f and then the letter or the number one and then RST. Yes, that's Instagram. That's Instagram. Um, so fact, go ahead I and give me a follow there. You got a reposting all this crayons. 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 Yeah. Get the man some crayons and he's good. And if hey, you man. have like, if there's something that I said or Nate or Chase said during, and you guys have more follow-up questions and you want to just contact us directly, you can shoot me an email. If something like triggered something that you, you know, you want to have a follow-up with and that's Dr. T at this is a tough one. Dr. T at H T W E D E L L dot org. That's pronounced Twiddell, Brandon. Twiddell. Dr. T at H org, And that's my direct email. And I'm happy to answer any questions you guys might awesome. have. Yeah. You're a busy woman. Yeah. You're, you're guys, I just want to say one, uh, thank you for what you guys are doing. Thank yes. you for what you guys are, are about to jump into with this. I, uh, I think it's great for first responders. And, um, if you guys are listening do not reach out or look at these guys or, or, or try to get something started like this at your agency, man, you guys are, you guys are missing the boat here. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking your time out of your day to come up here and spend, you know, two hours with us, um, you know, in the evening. Uh, thank you for getting this, getting us this lovely room yeah, with the know. great chandelier that we're sitting know, in here. I know here. people. You do yeah. know people, obviously. Who make, who make chandeliers? With great taste. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you guys for everything that you guys do. And, and, and thank you for supporting uh, law enforcement and, and fire as well. But yeah, well, we <laughs> second I mean, responders are cool too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean they sleep and work yeah. out. I mean, how do they? I mean, yeah. really? So, Brandon, you got anything, man? No, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm excited. Y'all are going to be at the conference. I think that's a good thing. I, I, I like that we're we're starting to add the mental and the physical side to what we do. Of yep. uh, we've lacked that for many many years, uh, and I'm glad to see it. It's starting to to come around. Um, 
and so I'm, I'm excited to do that. So, man, if you haven't signed up for the conference, get your ass on it. It's going to be a great conference. We have a ton of uh, instructors that are going to be just bringing it this year, and I think um, get some really big stuff in the works. Yep. Um, so yep. that's so, it, man. Go out and yep. train hard. Yep. You guys stay safe. Train hard.